Hey, let's do this thing. The Robert Scott Bell Show is about to begin. Uh, scheduled uh, first hour. Should we get the connection working? Rick Jaffe going to give us an update on a challenge day B2098, the anti-free speech thing that Newsom signed into uh, the law in California. And, uh, you know, what have we learned from the previous challenge that got dismissed? That kind of thing. Rick's always good on that. We're going to have a good time with Rick Jaffe, hour one. Uh, also, a comment of the day on my uh, English, which is very poor, as we know. It's only been what? Come on. I'm almost to my 24th year broadcasting. Then I'll start speaking the Queen's English. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, also, hey, guess who's back? Hour two, Ty Bollinger. Woo! The crowd goes wild. We got a lot to talk about with TMB. There is an ongoing uh, live right now as we're going live um, hearing Ron Johnson. Senator Ron Johnson is hosting. Uh, We might be able to cut to that. I don't know, Uh, but there's a lot going on. And finally, and maybe primarily, am I a health supremacist? Oh, oh, yeah, we're going to cover that. Uh, We got to get ready. The Robert Scott Bell Show is about to start right about now. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Yeah, we're about to go live. No, we are live right now. It's happening. I, I love doing the show live. You know, for many years, uh, when we transitioned to six days a week for a little bit, actually, uh, we were doing some pre-records as well. Our Sunday show is pre-recorded for syndicated radio. That's just the way it rolls. But uh, being live, like I say this now, because if you're catching the show live, there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time. And it's and it's hard to choose. Like, what do I want to do? Like on Thursdays, you got Dell Big Tree and the High Wire, but it's like it's okay. That's why they have the recorded versions, the podcast versions. You can watch or listen at your leisure. But being live, there's something strange and crazy and cool about it. Especially, uh, I know that uh, Senator Ron Johnson is hosting uh, live. I don't know if it's hearing. It's kind of a uh, investigational. Let's reveal things that the mainstream media is suppressing and censoring. Again, Ron Johnson, and they're so glad that he won uh, as senator to go back in to the Senate from. Uh, Wisconsin. There it is. You see the visuals they've got. Uh, there's uh, Dr. Malone speaking and whoever's next to him. I can't tell who that is. I noticed that Peter McCullough's there and Ryan Cole and probably a whole host of others that are, are uh, commenting. Or I don't know if it's testifying, but commenting on uh, what is apparent, what should be obvious to everybody at this point. That the COVID jabs were never designed to make you stronger or healthy. There's Ron Johnson. You see McCullough and Ryan Cole right there sitting next to one another with a chart talking pericarditis, myocarditis, a whole host of disasters that are occurring. Now, at the same time, I witnessed this happening and I was, I was watching a little bit of it before we went to air to look to that institution, the Senate or the house of representatives or the executive branch and, you know, the presidency and, uh, and the oligarchy that descends from it in terms of the uh, FDA, the CDC, the EPA, the FTC, all of these agencies that operate in a supra constitutional way where the, they're judged jury and executioner in many ways, or they establish law, they write law that they're not authorized by the Constitution to write. We can say, well, that's just the way it's been happening for a long time and we've just got to work our way through it. Or we don't do the thing that causes us to bleed every time, hit our head on the brick wall thinking we're going to break through it. And we begin to realize that if we withdraw the consent, if we withdraw the support, if we begin to outcreate or create parallel options and opportunities that remove ourselves from their jurisdiction, that we might have 
I wouldn't even say a fighting chance, but a chance where they'll begin to fight each other because we're no longer participating. The concept of, you know, what if they threw a war and nobody showed up? You know, they want to bait you in. They want to suck you into it. Come on, just keep on coming. We're go- this is the time we're going to correct the error of our ways. We're in the, you know, as much as I like Senator Ron Johnson and many of the people that are doing their thing there, I do not look to those institutions as the solution to the problem. As Reagan once said, you know, <laughs> they are the problem. And if we went back to a constitutional limitation on that government, of course, 99% of the things that are happening now wouldn't be happening because they wouldn't be involved in it. They wouldn't be engaged in it. And then we'd have little or no concern as to who is, who is president, what party they're from, because the powers that they have would be so limited and they would be checked by the co-equal branches, so to speak. I know I'm asking for a lot. The founder's vision in a modern context. Could it be done? I, I guess suppose the question is answered only by what we do based on what we believe. And if we believe and perceive that they have all the power and that we have to grovel and beg and, and vote and hope our vote counts and that's going to be the way we succeed. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not buying that anymore. But I'm looking to establish a way to go through life where I take responsibility for my life and my health. And you do as well. And if we want to seek each other out in terms of helping one another or you want to help me, I want to help you in freedom. We have the capacity to do that. We also have the capacity and freedom to innovate, to come up with extraordinary ways that maybe not currently anybody's aware of as far as healing goes or other things. Yet those of us who would argue for freedom are often derided as elitists, uncaring. You hate people. You want to see grandma die. You've heard these things. Now, there's a, uh, actually, we're switching the, the articles around a little bit in terms of sequencing, because if you go to the show notes at robertscottbell.com, by the way, we have Rick Jaffe scheduled to join us in a few minutes as well. Uh, we're going to get some updates on the, the new challenge to AB2098 in California, where you have, uh, you know, the isms, capitalism is frowned upon. That's maybe an understatement. Communism is embraced, various forms of it. But I would argue that communism and the planks of the Communist Manifesto are every one of them are in various degrees already in full function within the United States at the federal level, much less at, at state levels. Freedom of speech? Nah, that's just just for the, uh, the higher-ups. We can enjoy it. We can party on and do whatever we want, but we'll tell you how to live your life. Isms, centralized bureaucracies. So this, this article is an is a interesting one because it, it relates to the inflation concern we all have. What, what are your priorities in inflation when the prices are going up, which is not inflation? The symptom of inflation is higher prices. Inflation is an increase of the money supply, a fiat money system not backed or not tied to anything necessarily, really. And you see that they print, they print, they print, they print, and print, and ultimately that money comes back around. When you get to touch it, it's worth far less than when the first people from the banking system get to touch it and their friends or whoever they're sending it to in Ukraine, for instance. So the question to the American people is like, hey, how are your spending habits changed in inflation? And eight in 10 have said they've cut spending, which is not a surprise. It's not a shock. But what is a bit surprising, perhaps, is that the one area that they have not cut their spending is on their health. Eight in 10 people. 
81% within the last six months cut general spending, but have not cut down on spending on their health and wellness. 55% would spend any amount of money on their health, estimating that that's where they spend a third of their budget, including on expenses like healthy food, supplements, and what they call mental health care. They don't necessarily define it. Now, back in the 90s, I remember uh, reading about the uh, acknowledged recognition at that point that more people were spending money out of pocket on dietary supplements, natural methods than all of the other you know money that was spent on modern medicine. So it was already something that was going on a long time ago. And then we witnessed over the years, you know, the 1994 Deshaies Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, which kind of said, you know what, you, you can't say this is a drug, it's, but it can only make claims associated with structure and function. And then some years later, 2010, we get Obamacare, which basically unconstitutionally, even though uh, what was the doofus uh, Supreme Court Justice Roberts said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do some yoga gymnastics, pretzel myself into a position to say it is constitutional because it's not a fine, it's a tax. It's not a tax. It's fine. You find out what they did. But basically, it mandated participation in a in an insurance scheme. It told you that you had to participate in an economic exchange to cover something that would only be funding, guess what, one form or one system of medicine. You know, Obamacare doesn't cover homeopathy, doesn't cover naturopathy, you know, on and on it goes. We go, what about all the things I want to do? You're going to force me into a system that makes me pay money to support something I would never do in a million years? Yep, that's what we want to do. Now, of course, that's blatantly unconstitutional. But again, we can't get into arguments. You go up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, well, no, it is constitutional because of this. I'm like, I'm not interested so much in that argument. I'm interested in freedom. But in, in 2010, uh, they had to enact 100 years after the Flexner Report of 1910, Obamacare, because too many of you were no longer participating in that modern medical monopoly, the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism. And they realized in a free market, you were going further and further away from them and you were moving toward herbs and natural medicines and homeopathy and other things. And they had to stop it. So how could they do that? Well, they passed a centralized bureaucratic scheme to say you have to participate in this to support the medical monopoly that is faltering because you're not buying what we're selling. So we're not going to sell it to you in a free market. We're going to mandate that you buy our product. And this is, of course, the corruption with vaccines. It's not a free market product. If it existed in the free market, very few people would demand it because you'd actually know that it doesn't work and that it's very harmful. And this is even before mRNA. And I support free markets. If you want to inject yourself or your children, I would try to uh, persuade you otherwise, but I'm not going to use the force of government to stop you. Although, truth be told, if government was operating constitutionally, it would stop those companies from bringing those things to market because they're inherently dangerous. What was it? Uh, Dr. Shannon, he was the head of the NIH many, many decades ago, said the only safe vaccine is a vaccine that is never used. Other statements saying that, you know, vaccines are inherently dangerous. So uh, you can put them on the market if there's fully informed consent, but they don't want any of that. So we have this statistic born out of this question. Eight in 10 Americans cutting back because of inflation, but not on their health. And then we get this fantastic article, Super Don found just before we went to air. I am, I'm just, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. The headline of this article by Martin Steenhagen, health supremacy kills. Capitalist societies are structured around the fantasy that healthy people are better people. <gasps> so 
RSB, me, RSB. I'm a health supremacist. <laughs> I did, you know, I don't recall ever in all these years, Super Don, I hear you chuckling behind the scenes, ever said that healthy people are better people. <clears throat> well, Have they're I better ever? for themselves, I guess. Well, but that's I not mean, what they're that's not what they're saying here. I mean, no. you know, anybody who's been unhealthy, yeah, and then has improved their health, mm-hmm. I think, can kind of self reflect and say, "I feel like I'm better, better now than right. I was before." But a supremacy? This is not a supremacy statement. But remember, um, they what they call me? Uh, what was that psychiatric term for wanting to eat healthy? orthorexic orthorexic right they make make it a disease to be to want to be healthy and in this case if you are choosing health that you're somehow a health supremacist according to this guy they call this now healthism he says health supremacy is an outgrowth of healthism in the same way that white supremacy is an outgrowth of racism (laughs) wow so wanting to be healthy is tantamount to wanting to be a white supremacist i mean this is he's trying to make a health supremacist health supremacist a white really the first and healthism was coined in the 1980s, according to this uh, cultural theorist Robert Crawford, to describe the late capitalist idea that health is both crucial to your self development and wholly your individual responsibility. Now, here's the question I have about that statement Whose responsibility is your health, if not yourself? Seriously, is that is that a controversial well, question? The next sentence sort of addresses that. Oh. Health has become a marker of identity and personal stamina instead of something determined by luck and socioeconomic circumstance and a communal responsibility. Oh, so it's a communist plot. It takes a village. In other words, (laughs) you're not responsible for your health. The community is. In other words, in other words, Robert, this would be a person that would firmly grasp onto the term public health. Oh, the legal fiction, public health. Right. There's no such thing as public health. It is a legal fiction. There's only your health or nobody's. There's only my health or nobody's. You don't this, get sick as a community. You don't get right. well as it's a community. It's a communal responsibility. Yeah. And then it goes on to say that as a result, mm-hmm. because there are people that feel that health is a marker of identity, yeah. uh, that those who cannot attain or maintain health mm-hmm. are seen as failures, failed employees, failed citizens, failed people so you know honest you have to drill down a little bit here what were you saying what i just don't recall calling people failures in that context i mean look if any show could be determined to be a health supremacy show it would be this show wouldn't it (laughs) this is all we you know wow i just i mean have we come to a point in society where all you have to do is just add the word supremacy after something and suddenly you're walking around with tiki torches Mm -hmm. uh you know down the street in in charlottesville yeah uh you know this is very it's listen wait you have to this is not a cnn article okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of you'd be like it sounds like a cn no it's not it's not a cn it's not an msnbc article this comes Mm -hmm. from a health a um not a health but a uh website i've never heard of before pestimag pest pestimag s P-E-S-T-E-M-A-G.com. And I, I looked it up here just oh. trying to get an idea of what the heck is this thing. Yeah. And uh, they are, well, let's just put it this way. There's a, there's a, a thing here where they're saying, hey, you know, if you have stories, something like that, they want, they want people to pitch them mm-hmm. on these stories that they have. Yeah. Uh, there's some bad words in here. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they they make a comment here, and I'm trying to find it now, where they say that they aren't interested in anything that would be coming from what they call the fictional center right. Uh, so, so that kind of gives you an idea that if if they are talking about a fictional center right, mm-hmm. these guys are going to be probably leaning way over on the left side of the political spectrum. Well, seriously, collectivism is evil. And these people don't get it. They are part of it. They've been co-opted by it. They're corrupted by it because they do not acknowledge the power and sanctity and sovereignty of the individual. In fact, they look at that as supremacy. Do you dare, you dare claim that you have control over your health, that you're responsible for your health. You're a supremacist. It may not be white, but it's the same thing that they're trying to relate. They say health supremacism is eerily similar to other supremacist ideologies. In other words, anybody who believes in individual liberty, the right to self-determination, a personal relationship with God or the creator is a supremacist. This is why collectivism is so damaging to society because it, it, well, it basically takes you out of any potential to be a driver of your own reality, of your own experience. To have anything but luck. Hopefully you're lucky. Hopefully you're born in the right place. Hopefully government is favorable to you. Because it's of course choosing winners and losers. And they determine who gets to lose. And in this case anybody who believes in individual liberty. And and the fact is when we talk about health and healing. Remember. If you go to a doctor. And the doctor looks at you and says. Well a thousand people over the course of, I don't know, it got this drug. I'm just going to give this to you because a thousand other people got it and did well, not considering your unique individual circumstances. And it turns out that particular drug can kill you and will kill you and kills you. Bad luck. Sorry. As opposed to the luck that you didn't need when the doctor says, okay, you're an individual. I know this drug is your work for a lot of people. Let me ask you questions about your history. Let's, let's analyze your chemistry, any number of things to say, okay, in this case, you would not be helped. You, in fact, you'd be harmed by that. Collectivism is evil because it denies the divinity, if you will, of the individual, but plus the needs that are unique to you. And says you are lumped into the collective and so sorry if it doesn't work for you. You took one for the team. And this is how they sacrifice children in the vaccine paradigm. And those who are collectivists on the left who bought the lies of the COVID jabs that are now suffering with injuries. Still, like the Stockholm Syndrome afraid to speak out because their friends, their collectivist friends will accuse them of becoming a a Trump lover. Despite the fact that Trump was responsible for starting the warp speed that would lead to these jabs. And there's nothing to love about that. I don't believe anyway. So y'all check these articles out. They're added in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You can submit questions and comments there. You can call us, leave a message, 866-939-2355, 866-939-BELL. If you text RSB to 22828, you will be part of the newsletter. Super Don sends out with sometimes silly, sometimes serious poll questions of the day. There it is. RSB, send it to 22828. Text it. You'll be in. Now, I, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. I know we got to get the Rick Jabbies waiting there yeah. in, the, in the green room. Yeah, but, Rick's uh, yeah. I, 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 I am. Mm-hmm. What am you? To embrace the term health supremacy. I, how would you feel about having a T-shirt? <laughs> I'm a health. That just says health supremacist. It, it's it's. I, I don't know. I've never heard this term before, but I'm kind of like, 
It's like wearing the term anti-vaxxer and going, yeah. I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. A health supremacist. I don't know. Let's see what Rick Jaffe thinks of that. Not that he <laughs> has an opinion about anything. Rick, of course. Is I mean, would it, would it be okay to wear a hat that said health supremacist on it? Would Rick, that... would it be okay or would it subject uh, Superdon to major lawsuits? <laughs> to wear health supremacist. Health. I don't know. Maybe that's discrimination. I mean, maybe the, somebody's <laughs> going to think you're a, uh, I don't know, a white supremacist. You're going to have a well, white hat or a black hat. Well, that's the point of this article we're opening with. It's like they're trying to argue that people that believe their health is in their control and that they need to take steps to to, fact, to protect their health. And if they achieve it, if they achieve, yeah. achieve health, their if health they're if they're healthy, that somehow that makes them uh, akin to a white supremacist because they just assume that they think they're better than other people, I guess. I don't know. It's there's like, no point of discussion. Once they label you with these things, they're not engaged in intellectual activity. It's ad hominem. It's it's a way to, to, to make it impossible for you to respond because you're already dismissed because you're a supremacist and you put the hyphenated previous uh, word to it, whatever it is now, health supremacy. So, Rick, you know, you, you've been addressing a lot of legal challenges uh, while the government's establishing unconstitutional restrictions on speech and more. We talk about freedom of religion and freedom of practice of religion might include or might not include the use of certain drugs or injections. And California, New York, a few other states have said, you know what, religious freedom, that's old news. We can get rid of that. The First Amendment doesn't really protect it. And they went on a nuclear option in California with HB 2098 against doctors' freedom to speak. It's like a preemptive, you know, now we're, we know, you know what we're talking about, even though we're not going to codify it exactly. Now doctors are fearing speaking to their patients about things before this even comes into active uh, function in January 1st of 2023. Right. That's right. You know, um, let me try to tie in some of the things you were talking about before mm-hmm. to this whole thing. The, the, the fundamental issue and, you know, from vaccine mandate cases is simply, you know, what are the rights of the individual versus the rights of society? And, you know, I'm actually a pretty conservative guy. And my basic position is that your rights only extend to you and you don't have the right. There's nobody has the right to be typhoid Mary, to put it bluntly. And that worked um, in the vaccine mandate context that or, or, or that only works in the vaccine mandate context if the uh, vaccine stops trans infection or transmission. Right. And right. now that it, we know that it doesn't, right. Then this concept of, of, you, you know, once you eliminate that notion that, mm-hmm. you know, people who are vaxxed and double vaxxed and double uh, boosted and vax boosted can, can both be infected and transmit uh, uh, infection that kind of knocks out the whole purpose of the mandate. And that circles back to the first case I filed a couple of years ago against the UC, which where the justification for, it was a flu vaccine mandate where the justification was to prevent hospitalizations. Yeah, you know, nothing to do with uh, dying or infecting other people because, you know, it, it, did, it, it, it didn't stop that. So, you know, that's the problem with this whole mandate issue and the whole speech issue is, is that it starts from a, a premise that's proven not to be true in COVID is that yep. if you get the shot, you can, you're no longer, you can't get it and you can't transmit it. So then what happened is the way this whole thing started, this whole COVID misinformation started 
was that there were doctors, there were, it, 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 uh, the reality is people were not buying the booster. People were getting vaccinated. Uh, uh, they were getting double vaccinated. And then what happened is you had more and more variants. They started seeing that people were getting sick and, uh, uh, and, get, and, and transmitting, even though they were vaccinated and boosted. So right. that started to, as I said, it lessened the, the, the need, uh, the absolute need from a public health point of view to force the vaccines. Or, or, an, or a credible argument that the only way to stop it was to get these jabs. And therefore, we had the author authority under certain precedents that right. we could mandate something like that. And, and remember this concept, which was a, a quaint concept now, but no one so much talks about it now b because of all the variants. Remember this concept called herd immunity? Yes. Nobody yes. talks about that too much anymore they because nobody's got it. it. Vaccinated, right. unvaccinated, twice infected, three times infected, you could be five times infected, and you know it's it's no no thing. So what has happened is the laws have not evolved as fast as the virus has evolved. So the whole point behind this thing, just to remind you know your viewers, is this whole notion of suppressing physician speech started in July 2021, when the Federation of State Medical Boards put out a press release. They didn't put out a white paper. They didn't put out a black paper. They didn't put out a scientific paper. They put out a two paragraph statement saying medical boards should go after doctors who spread COVID misinformation. Now, what happened is some states took that up, a couple, uh, one state took it up and then the legislature got involved and said, if you pass this, if you keep on doing this, we're going to sunset the board out. That was Tennessee. Most states have are trying to not have their boards uh, have these rules about COVID misinformation. But California, because it's California, they went the other direction, right? Originally, the California uh, a bill for COVID misinformation was targeting the problem. And the problem really was there were a couple of high profile doctors and the person they named in California was Simone Gold, who would go around in a white coat, but it also applies to Joe Mercola and some other people uh, who go around and you know have their white coat on and they say that you don't need the shot and you know all the things that they say. And, and they decided to try to implement that. But what happened is, uh, and Simone Gold doesn't even practice medicine anymore. I mean, she's just uh, she's uh, you know a public speaker and she has an organization. But but so they were targeting people that were speaking out in public. But even even the people in the legislature realized that the, the legislative councils realized that you can't do that. You can't stop people from speaking out in public. So as a result, uh, in an amendment, they narrowed the bill to apply only to communications between physicians and their patients for the purposes of treatment or advice. So that is what has passed. It's not the full mm -hmm. federation uh, attack on free uh, attack well, on is, free is this, Rick, isn't this the reason why the first suit against it failed? Because they were going after an earlier version of the bill, not the one that actually passed? Yes. Actually, the first suit was my suit on behalf of Doug McKenzie because they the board went after him for uh, a, a talk he gave to these... Uh, uh, to, to some school board and they filed a complaint against him. And then I ended up suing. And then a week after I filed the lawsuit, they dropped the case. And then the judge dismissed the case, you know, on the theory of no harm, no foul, no case. Right. right. So they found that to be moot. The good news for Dr. McKenzie was 
you, you know, they dropped the lawsuit. The bad news for the lawsuit was they they stopped the suit. So that was that was the first case. The second case that was filed was after the effect after uh, the, uh, Newsom signed the bill. That was McDonald versus lawsuit uh, Lawson. But the problem with that case was it was basically filed by two guys who were speaking out in public about the bill, and they talk, And one of the guys, the psychiatrist McDonald, was already being investigated by the board for COVID public misinformation. He start complaining about that. Well, there are two problems with that. First. SB AB 2098 doesn't affect uh, public speech anymore. So the whole basis so uh, of what he's complaining about isn't part of the bill. He was being investigated by the board. I don't know why, but it had nothing to do with AB 2098. And then, of course, and the other problem that both guys had is they just talked about what they wanted to say in public, <clears throat> what they said in public and generalities. So you know, I read the complaint and the first thing I saw, this this complaint is just never going to survive because it was not specific enough. It wasn't really about what patients wanted to hear and what pa what doctors wanted to say to the patient. So, you know, what, what happened is, of course, they, they made a motion uh, for preliminary injunction. The, the, the attorney general didn't even file a, a formal uh, motion to dismiss. They just pointed out to the judge that that uh, these guys don't have standing to sue because, you know, because of what I was talking about before. And it was, it was pretty obvious. And, you know, the judge threw out the case with leave to replead. In other words, they could try again, you know, but the problem is I'm not sure how a psychiatrist, you know, what his business is in terms of advising patients to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. Right. You know, I mean, I don't see how a psychiatrist does that. And there's a psychiatrist in the second case too. And, you know, maybe they get anxiety about masks, I heard. But basically, I think you got to be in the business of advising patients. And that's what you got to understand what the, what your lawsuit is about. And your lawsuit, mm -hmm. the first lawsuit, and to some except the second lawsuit, it can't be about doctors' public speech. That ship is sailed. Yeah, it's, it's not, not in the bill. So, Rick, let me understand that the final bill that was passed and signed into law in California restrict speech in a doctor-patient relationship one-on-one, -on -one, more or less. And the question is then, how is that policed? And, uh, you know, in a sense, is it setting a camera in every room with every doctor and patient? And then they're looking, oh, did they? Did he say anything about vaccines that we would disagree with or the WHO on and on? I'm trying, trying to figure out how this machine of this law would work. That's actually, that's really a shrewd question. That's really shrewd question because no one's really talked about that much because the because that's the question is how do they find people? Well, mm -hmm. let me tie in something else. During the legislative section session, the they tried to pass this bill SB 920. I wrote a post about it, and that gave board investigators the right to go into offices of physician physicians and basically rifle through their patient files if they suspected there was a violation of the law. That was outrageous. It was a Fourth Amendment violation. I wrote letters about it. Other people wrote letters about it. And that law was, was not passed. And they literally said they need the law because sometimes it's hard to identify who has violated the they law can't because do a they're not hearing that from the patients. Yeah, they can't do a fishing expedition without that law. So this right. is seemingly a preliminary that they needed in order to get AB 29, 2098 to actually fully engage without that 
They can't rifle through the private doctor, confidential doctor-patient relationship notes, for instance. Exactement. That's yeah. exactly right. So, so, so they don't have that mechanism. So the question is, and, and there is no, nobody knows the answer. I think I know what's going to happen because I'm a board lawyer. But right now, you know, typically what happens is, you know, uh, there are complaints filed by, in, in our field, they're almost never filed by patients or their families, you know, because they're alternative health doctors. Everyone's happy. Their patient compl complaints are filed against doctors in our space by subsequent treating physicians and by school nurses in terms of, uh, you know, medical exemptions, right? But they're not filed by the patients. Now, the thing about uh, uh, this is going to be what we know from the second lawsuit and what I put in what we what, in, in our papers that we recently filed is when people, when doctors are speaking out in public about these issues against the COVID narrative, um, they're soliciting comments on social media saying that uh, you guys are crazy or you're jeopardizing uh, uh, health and we're going to file complaints about against you with the medical board. So what I suspect is going to happen is that for the people on the radar screen, the people that have spoken out in public, um, the board is going to try to start investigating them and they'll try to use some techniques, which I don't think has have been used too often I, uh, uh, in, in board cases, but I think they're going to try to uh, uh, fish for information from social media and, and perhaps use that in order to try to start investigations mm. for physicians, even though they don't have specific uh, patient information. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a fascinating journey when we talk about it with the detail that you bring to it and why you're suing and how you're doing it based on also what we've learned to this point to be successful, to stop these things. At the same time, I look at the medical profession and like my uncle, my dearly departed uncle, who told me when I was still a teenager, don't become a doctor. You're going to be miserable. They control you. They own you. He knew long before. I mean, this was back in the 80s, right, where it was going. Why would you want to be a doctor when you realize you're subjecting yourself to a bunch of cronies in boards or even beyond that, those who have been captured at state and federal level? Right to restrict the freedom that you wanted to enjoy once you became a doctor to help people in the way you right. find out is the, so they're, I think they're destroying all of these things are working to destroy the medical profession to some degree. That's not bad based on where it's devolved to, but this is not, I, I argue for the freedom of doctors to do the things they, they know are best for the patient to work in informed consent. So it's not, I'm not anti-doctor. I think the system is so corrupt that the doctors themselves, like my uncle Warmy said, you're not going to enjoy what it's like. You think it's this, but it, when you get in, you find out it's not what you think it is. Right. Well, I mean, that's the problem. I mean, this this is this is really a direct assault on the information that patients can receive from physicians, and I, I just don't think that the courts are going to allow that. It's not, you know, um, it's it's not about you know, a, a treatment. I mean. Patients want to have accurate information, and some patients want to hear something other than the mainstream COVID narrative. They want to they want some of the details, sometimes about the other uh, studies. They want to know what happened with the J and J vaccine, and and if you're a, a male age night seventeen to thirty or twenty nine, whatever thirty nine, what, what what with the mRNA vaccine. So, 
people want information and the notion that 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 the government can suppress information to patients is something we don't really do in this country and, and shouldn't start should well we're going to be covering with ty bollinger next hour about stuff being revealed in the twitterverse so to speak of suppression and government involvement in the suppression of speech in those uh, social media outlets but for the purposes of staying on point here with ab2098 you know i can imagine that some doctors interpreting it the way you are that it's like okay it's not about my public speech even though they try to find a way to use it might be a little nervous to communicate truthfully and honestly with their patient because could it be found out later if their intent is to be able to rifle through they can't do it today but could they tomorrow or as january 1st 2023 kicks in will they find a loophole in that law to go in and start so as a doctor i would say mm, i'm a little bit nervous now because my license is at risk on to talk to my patients honestly about something that they might disagree with even if i'm right as we find out much of the narrative is wrong in consensus science the claims that they had the science and that these renegade physicians were wrong they in fact turned out to be right well, and that's what one of the things I think that the gift I like to say the gift we gave the community with our papers is, you know, something I've been looking for for a couple of years or at least a year has been I, I, I couldn't really find in one place someone who's laid out all the things that the narrative said in the beginning that turned out to be wrong and, and why. So what we had, uh, we had we submitted a declaration from this doctor, a heart specialist, uh, Sanjay Verma, and he just went through it. He has 18 pages of discussion and followed by 20 pages of single-spaced URL sites to what everyone said about everything, you know, in terms of vaccine safety, uh, transmission, infection, you, you know, this whole concept. In the bill, you know, one thing I had to attack head on, uh, in the legislative history of AB 2098, it stated that if you are unvaccinated, you have an 11... 11 times greater chance of dying. It turns out that's not that's not really true and it's not accurate. Uh, it, it's unstratified and it, it's wrong eight ways to Sunday. And what uh, we've done in these papers is show why that, uh, uh, that statement is wrong. And that's important because, I mean, you, you know, the advantage of not being, I was, I filed the first case and I'm gonna be filing the third case the advantage of having a two and three in between is that that one and 11 times greater was mm -hmm. cited by the judge in the McDonald case. So I felt like I've got to address it. So, I mean, he said, well, vaccines, you're 11 times greater chance of dying if you're not vaccinated. Says, no, sir, we're not. So we have much in the complaint and much in the declaration showing that that's just not true. Well, so, we see the, the, the uh, uh, judicial deference to the right. science and who presents it. it. It's like extraordinary because it really doesn't take into account what, what you would normally do in terms of assessing evidence. It's, it's sort of like I, I wait this evidence, you know, and this little thing you say is that I'm not even going to investigate it. And now I guess over time, perhaps the preponderance of evidence shifts and it makes it maybe harder for a judge that has that bias to get away with that. Oh yeah. They said it's 11 times more likely you're going to die. So we'll just go with that. Do you feel like you're, you're stronger because of the time that's, uh, transpired and what's happened since then to go back into the courts and say, hey, you can't be going with this consensus science crap because look how wrong it's been. And look how much it's changed. And that's what we have, 40 pages of how it's changed over the course of two years. And, you know, different countries have taken different tax on it. So and then the other thing is, you know, one of the things that some courts are suspicious of 
is this notion that you can just rely on what the medical what the medical organizations say. And there's case law, which we cited uh, uh, quite extensively in our papers saying, look, you have to express disagreement with minority views in a way other than to suppress speech. That's not acceptable. And that's what this is about. There, the cases recently, both from the Supreme Court and, and uh, an 11th Circuit case, they're really quite skeptical of, of essentially medical organizations and so-called experts telling people what they have to think and what to believe, especially in something so rapidly evolving as 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 the COVID pandemic, which where the virus is evolving to the point that some of the key concepts we had early on, like, like herd immunity, yeah. right, and and which is better, vac- natural immunity or right. or yeah. vaccine immunity, and and to some extent, I mean, one thing we've learned is, you know, they all work, they all don't work. You know what I mean? I mean, you can get COVID five times. I mean, what well, good is it happening the second time, and you Rick, know, the third time or fourth time? And Rick, as I open the show today on this absurdity of this claim, proclamation of health supremacy for those that are actually investing in their health and believe that they have some modicum or semblance of control over their health, the, you know, the, the struggle between individualism and collectivism. And then we come into the community immunity, which they modified herd immunity because they realized right, we right. called them out on calling humans herd animals, right? They, they realized we were being offended by that. So, oh, let's call it community immunity. But the whole idea of a collectivist protection, which we talk about in terms of the only evidence for that ever in history has been in a natural acquisition. You know, something would come in and it'd burn itself out. And right. then it seemingly was hard or impossible to, at least initially, to come back. But never did they duplicate that with vaccination. Never did they provide actual evidence. But it became we borrowed that and we ignored the fact that it was only there. And we say it's the same thing without scientific evidence. Yet we are the science Fauci and we proclaim it. And so the judges, the judiciary gives deference because they're part of, I, I believe, and I perceive a religion or a cult like devotion to medicine and modern medicine, the way it manifests rather than actual scientific evidence. Right. You know, I think, um, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty conservative. If if there were really really good evidence that the vaccine, the vaccine, the COVID vaccine stopped infection or stopped transmission, I have to tell you, I might be an advocate for mandates because again, your your freedom stops at somebody else. But the reality is, there is none anymore. So I think the whole rationale for mandates is gone. And and look, I think it ought to be, certainly back to your point, I think ultimately it has to evolve to an individual decision. I'm, you know, an old guy. I have a comorbidity or two. I don't go out that much. That's my choice. Mm-hmm. And that's you, my choice. You make and, a and you have a di- You're a younger guy. A 30-year-old, you know, makes different choice. My kids travel around the world. They make yeah. different choices. And I think what we need to do is get back to an individual focus in the absence of compelling evidence right. that the vaccine does what they thought a vaccine was supposed to do, which is stop infection and stop transmission. And if it doesn't do it, you just can't use this concept. Oh, well, we have to prevent hospital deaths. So we're going to do mandates. That's just not good enough. In my view, that's not sufficient to impinge on an individual's rights. And you know what, Rick, the only way to prevent hospital deaths is, is to stay out of the hospital. 
because they are the inducers <laughs> of death. And that's been true before COVID, although it became more obvious that they were the killing fields. And right. so, you know, there are, and, and I get your argument. I, I'm not going to slap you with a white glove. How dare you, sir, say you'd be supportive of mandates. I get the concept. Well, just the concept. Uh, let's right. put it this way. Do you agree? Yeah. Would you, would you say, I mean, let's, let's, it's, it's like, there's an analog to the abortion issue. I mean, we, we, we've always had abortion restrictions. It's just, they kick in after 24 weeks. At some point you can't do it. In the you you would agree that if someone has an active infection, you're not going to let that person out, right? And be, be a co typhoid Mary. There's no constitutional right to be a typhoid Mary. So what we're talking about are are like where do you draw the lines? Right, right. right. And it's a fascinating discussion too. And I know we're dealing with theoreticals, but right. uh, I still don't mind. I like to engage in this. And then I say, okay. How do we, you know, what's the level of proof that we have to rise to? Because I'll acknowledge somebody that is highly communicable in some sense, or, you know, it's like, okay, that's absurd, but you isolate them. You don't isolate the entire community. You find out, all right, this person's risk, but at the same time, there's controversy and all of these things, as we point out, even in, in the COVID time where we were certain that this was the reality and then suddenly it's different. And so how much do we risk the freedom of the individual? in doing something like saying, well, we would do a mandate at that moment, especially, I guess you could say it only if there was zero risk, right? What is there to risk? Zero risk. It's a well, mandate. Well, but there's never going to be zero risk. And, and, of course you know, not. And, well, and of course let, not. And let me give you another hypothetical. Suppose, I mean, I remember I was talking to, I think I was, this was years ago, even about Dell. We're talking mm -hmm. to Dell. I mean, you know, I, mean, I thought even he said, look, if there was like Ebola, which killing 80% of the people, yeah. You know, he might think about it. I mean, but we're not there. I mean, when you have these statistics that if you're mm -hmm. young and healthy, you know, the, the risk of dying from COVID is is really mm -hmm. quite small. And, you, you, you know, there the line might be unclear, but we know we, we should most people have a sense of where it should be. And at least at this stage in the game with the COVID deaths where we are. Yeah. I, I just don't see how mandates, I mean, like I say, well, I could no. envision mandates, but I don't see how there's any, any science. Right. I don't think there's any legal justification no. at this, in this and stage Rick, of the disease. You picked a great example. Cause I've talked about, you know, what could be the next scary thing that would get us to relieve ourselves of our freedom? Oh, it's too scary. Let's okay. Right. We don't, and Ebola is one thing people are scared of acknowledge, but back in the 1990s, I bring this up. I was looking, reviewing the peer-reviewed medical literature on experiments on Ebola, what was causing all of that, and they say mm -hmm. viral, 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 and then they find out, well, looks like there's abject selenium deficiency in this community. We supplement the selenium and the Ebola goes away, even active cases. And so even in a case like an extreme case of we think communicability of something so scary, I come back and the paradigm is wrong you know, what we call communicability might not be as clear as we thought it was unless you're in a, uh, a vulnerable situation, a susceptible situation. So if we prop up the immune system, again, our focal point on the terrain right, right. versus the germ, then we find we do have an ability to walk through an Ebola area and not have Ebola because we are not, let's say, we are not the host for it. In other words, we have selenium adequate to stop viral replication of something like Ebola. And that's not old. That's not new. I mean, that's old science from the nineties. And again, this is where the controversy continues, even though I love the discussion and, to, you know, we still come back at, there's a, a, a literal, uh, maybe a rift that can never be connected because the germ theory people and the terrain people don't often talk to one another. 
Right. You know, I want to make two, two, two historical references. And, you know, because we live in, the, in this century and things are pretty good. But, you know, first, uh, you know, Washington, I think it was the Valley Forge ordered, yeah. or, ordered all the troops to get vaccinated. And that is sometimes attributed to, you know, how to help win the war because people were dying like flies, you know, of smallpox. And then, I mean, we're 800 you know, years removed, but I mean, Europe has a history of having what a third, half, a third two of thirds the of the population right dying yeah. of the Black Death. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think that's just an argument for flexibility, yeah. right? But, 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 you know, so sometimes you can envision circumstances where you got to be flexible. But the, the the flip side of that is what they're doing in China is just nuts. Oh my! Right, God. they're locking down a whole that's country. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just worth. crazy. So, you, you know, I think people, re, re, regardless of where you are, you have to recognize that there are some severe circumstances which might justify, you know, greater interference. But, you know, what the other thing we've learned two years mm -hmm. now, I, I mean, you think they could do the same kind of crap they, they did in the beginning by keeping people out of churches and hardware stores? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, and. Again, the whole historical aspect, and this is the part of the you know the discussion here. Uh, if you give the power or or accede to the power of a government to mandate something or prohibit something, where does it end? We know that giving government that kind of power, our founders warned against that because it would always be used or abused, if you will. And the declaration of emergency has always been the excuse for we must right. abandon the limitations on government. So it's I I perceive it to be much more dangerous to acquiesce to the idea ultimately that a mandate would be of benefit ultimately and accede to the individual risk assessment. And, and again, the extreme example you point out is somebody is a typhoid Mary that's knowingly going out to purposefully... I'm not I, I think that's in a you know an outlier situation that could be addressed without causing the mandate of the community, the entirety, as opposed to addressing each individual or that individual. Well, you know, we had there was an, an actual case on that. You might recall in this woman was, was a, a nurse in Africa and she came back, you know, and during mm -hmm. the time there was a, 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 a an Ebola outbreak in there. And they wanted her to quarantine New Jersey, and they refused to, to to allow her to. And they forced her. I think it was Christie, Governor Christie, mm -hmm. forced her to do it. And then she ended up pursuing. And I, I think she lost. I mean, you know, they said, "Look, I mean, you're exposed. I mean, you're coming from another country. You know, I mean, the the, yeah. the the health Department of Health gets to say when you get out of quarantine, and you can't decide that on yourself. And you know, I guess it's a hard question, all. But I mean, it how is. much do you want? You know, how much do you want people making their own individual decisions, whether they're typhoid married? Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Does each person get to make their own decision? <laughs> yeah. Look, these are great questions. And I right. would say in my case, I get to make the decision. I'm not going to decide for you. But again, I feel like I've studied enough and I know differently than maybe even that nurse did in that regard. But I, I can't, I know we're, we're having controversial discussion. People are out there yelling at you, Rick. Oh, I can't believe he's for mandates. But look, he, Rick is always up for the discussion, which I enjoy. Right. I hope you enjoy it as well, because this is how we move really forward in a, not a progressive era uh, decline, right. but progress in terms of, I think, betterment, that we engage openly in this debate, discussion, and argument even. And that's right. a good and, thing. And, it's and by the way, let me be clear. Yes. What I'm saying is there's no justification for mandates now, mm -hmm. I could envision some other set of circumstances like Ebola, where two thirds, you know, of, of, right. of people that get her dying could do it. 
but in the context where the vaccine doesn't doesn't stop transmission mm-hmm. or infection, it's just there's no justification for mandates. That's yeah. my point. Rick is not a pro mandate guy. He's just right. putting it out there as a right. okay. This is understand the this guy. This uh, we can react to words and, and other right. things like that. And I don't hear you doing. Yeah, I'm all for mandates. No, that's not what you're saying. That's not and, what I'm saying. No. And in the context of our discussion, it is, hey, let's talk about these extremes. How would you perceive, right. react? And if we're ever there, I hope that we had in, had these discussions before we get there, and then they do the wrong thing in one direction or the or the other. If we silence the debate, if we right. censor it, then we're in trouble by the time we get there. And I think that's part of what we were in trouble about because of the what happened in COVID, because homeopaths and naturopaths and doctors that were more terrain oriented were never invited to the table. And those that woke up and started to speak out about it were derided as, you know, potential killers like they were a typhoid Mary, which they were not. They were observing clinically and or principally on their studies and what they brought about in their training to get to this point and to eliminate any of the competitive thoughts out there is to harm all of us ultimately, much less our individual liberty. Should it be warranted that even in a crisis like an outbreak, uh, they argue one thing, but they don't consider many other things that don't fall in line. Like we found the claims that the jab prevented transmission, which it did not. So, you know, deferring to mandates in a situation like that, how would we uncover or undo the damage done, which we have a lot of damage done to young people with the the shutdowns, the lockdowns, the distancing, all of the things unsubstantiated in the scientific uh, journals, much less the evidence that we saw clinically. Right. Well, and by on the, you know, I could I could see circumstances where I might be flexible, you know, on a mandate, you know, in the right circumstances on mm-hmm. on information and censorship. I have to say I'm an absolutist on that. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think there could yeah. ever be a justification for the government censoring dissenting opinions on public health issues, you know, by by health professionals. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really use the outlier of some wacko. Yeah. It says there's they're putting the, the vaccine has chips in there in, in it mm. or something like that, you know, but but the, right. I don't believe there's ever a justification. And, I, you know, fortunately, I think the Supreme Court and most courts agree with me. There could never be a justification for censoring public speech by health professionals on topics of public. Sure. Interest. Even though we've never. had we've had the government engage in that, by the way, our, our friend Gretel. Uh, who's like taking issue with you. And I love it, Gretel. Dude, she says, big pharma has complete blanket immunity for liability, not giving this guy a pass on this. And I think that's something we didn't discuss, of course, in the context of a mandate. Look at the the soft mandates that occurred. Mandate or you get out of work and you get the shot, you're injured or killed. There is little to no ability to go after the perpetrators in such circumstance. So that's another problem with mandates, of course, when you have absolute no liability for injury or death caused by the product that you promoted or mandated. Right. Yeah, I understand the issue. And I think people yeah. are, I understand that people are very upset about that. You know, exactly. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as anti-pharma as a lot of you people are. I mean, I, Your I uncle got flu, you know, I have to say I'm not, I, I got the flu once and I was sick as a dog. I took mm-hmm. Tammy flu and I was better the next day. So, you know, there are plenty of things. And That's I anecdotal. <laughs> right, right. But I, you have to understand something. I, uh, my, I spent most of my career mm-hmm. advocating for freer access to any drug 
people can get their hands on, whether it's proven or You're investigation. A, a I'm, I'm, I'm for people being able to do what they want. And yeah. if that's Rick, little pharma, big pharma, any pharma, you know, yeah. so Rick is not a homeopath, a naturopath, a doctor, but he's done a lot of investigation on right. the law. And uh, I always enjoy talking to you about it and your willingness to engage in controversy with us here. And I thank you also for your attempts as you are going after the AB 292098. We have the links to your website, Rick right. Jaffe Esquire, ESQ.com. And uh, y'all check it out, read about it, and uh, engage. All, everybody, engage. And thank you, Rick. It's always good to have you on All board. right. Well, thank you. All right. Rick Jaffe here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Again, always have a spirited conversation with him. And, uh, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I like to engage in the discussion about these things because something just kind of come through and like, oh, this, this is a question I would have. Kind of cool. Rick says, hey, that's a good question. I like that. I think we should all engage in questions. Um, this is part of the process of not accepting others' reality just because they say it, or even if they're this or they're that. Ask good questions. And if they're annoyed by it and they run away, they're probably not willing to entertain or engage in, again, critical thinking, or they've dismissed things. That's not what we do here, unless it's so apparent and so obviously. Uh, R, that's the R word I keep wanting to say. I'm not going to say it. Redundant. <laughs> I'll just go that way. All right, Super D. So we got... In theory or actuality, we'll have Ty Bolger back on the show. It's been a few weeks. He's taking some time off with the fam. He, um, he's got the link to connect, so it's just yeah. just when. Maybe he doesn't want to show up early because we're health supremacists, and he doesn't want to be associated with us. Right? Yeah, well, check it out, man. Check it out. Now, now if we were to go and, and, and make one of these T-shirts. Yes. And let's say it said like this on the front. You see yes. that? Yeah. Put that up there. Mm-hmm. And then it the premises, I'm seeing it. It had this on the back. Oh my gosh. What do you think? Okay. Huh? What do y'all think? But the thing is, what we would want to do is, if possible, engage like Lori, our friend who actually does printing and t shirts. Right. I, I know there are a lot of things, but we're trying to support our family, you know, our community <laughs> here. Uh, but yes, I think that's brilliant. <clears throat> I think so. Look. Or, or do you think we're we're opening ourselves up to oh, some? We certainly are opening ourselves up by doing that. Right? I saw a comment from Ula earlier. Uh, <laughs> she said, uh, "I think it was health supremacists' lives matter." That's yes. uh, it's unwieldy to say. Oh, that, that's even stepping in, in bigger doo doo. <laughs> okay, right there, boy. We that's... don't step into controversy ever, do we? Well, hey, oh well, you know, someone who will, who does, who is Ty Bollinger is going to join us in the second hour, despite. Maybe we'll ask him if he would wear one of those. Yeah, let's ask him that. Let's All ask right. him. He doesn't All know right. what he's stepping into. It's been a uh -oh. while. He's not what it's like <laughs> to be on the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, we're going to go outside the box with our good buddy, Ty Bollinger. We come back from this brief educational break at the top of the hour or so because the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. I was just thinking what we should do this hour uh, because Ty Bollinger had the audacity to just choose hanging out with his family over joining us every week on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Of course, I'm teasing him because I love him. We should just walk, just like walk out and protest and let Ty do the whole show by himself because he, he would do that. He could do that. And he wouldn't be deer in the headlights because he's Ty Bollinger. He's always got something to say. Let's bring Ty Bollinger in and see if he still speaks. Does Ty speak? Hi, do you speak? 
Abba be, Abba boo. <laughs> he better be faking it because I, I can't think he's. I think he's. It. He's messing with us here. Is that a fake hang up? We're on to you, Ty. We're you know, on you to know you, what man. You're about like the last time when you were drinking <laughs> something you said was whiskey and it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I don't forget everything. Yeah, that's funny. Good, good to talk to you. Good to be back on the show. Been a little bit of a hiatus. Just, you know, got tired of seeing your face, to be honest with you. No, totally understand. That's why I got these John Lennon-style glasses to make it feel like you're on somebody else's show. Yeah, you do look a little bit different with those glasses. That's that's kind of cool. It, it's uh, I'm waiting for you to, like, sing, you know, strum Let It Be and, you know. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. But, yeah, I was just saying about these glasses. I'm waiting for the group that, that uh, I got them from out of Carolina. They were there at the Red Pill Expo a few weeks back. And uh, the blue blockers, which we know are good but I never met a company and, and nice people that support freedom like they do. And I'm like, I want to, I want to promote these for you. These are awesome. And so I got a few pair and, and we're going to tell everybody how they can get them and get a discount and everything coming up. So uh, that's important. But what else has been going on TMB? I mean, the, the, re, the re-release and the expansion, if you will, of the uh, uncensored edition was amazing. I, I was stunned because as I was watching, it's like you, it looks like you massage new stuff into every episode. I was, I was thinking it would just be the new episode at the end. But you put these interviews in there. It just only made it better. Yeah, it made it better. I thought so too. I, I did uh, every every episode was edited and updated. So uh, yeah, we went. It was very. It was a success. It was uh, well received. A um, lot of people are you know continue to wake up, and that's the whole goal is just to continue to red pill people. So uh, yeah, it was it was successful. Just just been buried lately with just year end type stuff. You know, financial type stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the books done, tax planning, that kind of stuff. So just, um, yeah, it, it happens in November and December. Yeah. I need to send you stuff because now that we got the LLC and, and uh, you have more work to do. So, oh, that's right. You, you got to, you have an LLC set up. That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. But I understand that what you go through and do is amazing as well. The numbers that you figure out. That's why if it's math, I go to you. Uh, so TMB, just real quick, how's the fam? I saw some pictures with, uh, uh, Charlene and on your youngest, who's growing so tall charity. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Today is their, uh, mother daughter Christmas date day. Charlene does that. She's been doing that with the kids for a year, as long as I can remember. She yeah. takes them each on a date day and, you know, they buy their Christmas presents that day and go to lunch and, you know, just have a fun time, fun, fun day. Very so, cute. Very adorable. Yeah. And I like I said, to see these kids grow, it's, it's just amazing. Just amazing from when they were tiny yeah. little babies. They they are growing. Charity is specifically has grown quite a bit lately. She's tall. Yeah. And it's only 12, but she's she's growing up. She's gonna, gonna be five four, five, five, I'm guessing by now. Maybe, maybe five four. Incredible. So uh TMB, my buddy, your buddy, Super Don, wants to know if if we printed up a shirt like this, would you wear it? And I don't know, Super D, if you have sure. that image to show uh Ty Bollinger. There you go. There you go. That's the front of the shirt. Health supremacist, it says health supremacist and we'll explain the backstory of this and it's it's like stepping into controversy like you and i we never do but there was a, an article that came out and we covered it in the opening of the show that was so bizarre and it says health supremacy kills capitalist societies are structured around the fantasy that healthy people are better people and of course um health supremacy is kind of similar to all kinds of supremacist ideologies it's like how dare you think that you have some control over your health ty bollinger yeah, I I definitely wear it. I mean, I I've got several controversial shirts here. I got a shirt uh, last year that was I may have sent you a picture, and it was uh, a picture of uh, a mask and 
and a picture of Joe Biden. And it's like the only thing more useless than that mask you're wearing is the president or is Joe Biden or something to that effect. Hadn't worn it in a while, but I wore that a few times mm-hmm. and I was, I was just ready to basically be, you know, verbally barraged by people and, mm-hmm. and nobody, nobody. I was like, yeah, man, love the shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I love the shirt. Did you wear so, that at Kroger? I wore it at Kroger. Wow. Yeah. yeah and didn't have anybody. You know, I'm sure there's people that may have looked at it and been irritated, but nobody said anything. Of course, you know. I don't know. He looked down and then he stopped. Super Don, do you hear him or see him? He's contemplating his He's contemplating. next his next few words there. What the heck? I noticed that his internet looked like it was kind of. Oh, you're flipping. right. I'm looking at it. It's down to one red red, red bar, so to speak. Yes. So there it's red. And internet. there he is. Now he's back. He's back. Okay. It's green net internet now. Where's his voice? Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Now you're back. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what happened. Um, I mean, I got a, I've got a strong connection here. I'm looking at my connection. I'm, I've got a huge connection. So something's happening between here and there. Stop bragging. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like uh, Donald Trump. I don't have just a good connection. My connection's huge. It's the best connection ever. It's a, it's a connection that all other connections it's, are in It's, it's a big, bigly. It's a bigly connection. It's a bigly connection. It's a That's huge right. connection. Oh my gosh, we're so such health supremacists here. Uh, well, I, would, I would definitely wear the shirt. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're looking at it, putting it out there to the crowd. See if they do that after that. It's just so absurd. Look, the the idea that we have some modicum of control over our health, that it's not wholly a a, a result of luck. You know, this idea of, of luck is you know those that aren't um, actually engaged in co-creating their life and taking the steps that they know or should know uh, yeah. that they can do to be better, be stronger, be healthier. And of course, to say that, um, you know, cause when we say we were sick and now we're not sick, we say we're better, right? That's a normal thing. Oh, I'm better. I got better. But to them, that means you're an elitist, a health supremacist. Oh, you got better, but so-and-so uh-huh. didn't. So don't you be talking about getting better as if, you know, that makes it like worse for the person that didn't get better. I mean, do you just, not acknowledge that anybody can get better and let's all just decay. And I, I just, it's an absurd mindset that they're promoting. Robert, I was talking to my brother, Ron, about this earlier today and he, I don't think he's watching, but, um, you actually talked to Ron. Ron watching. I, I talked to Ron a lot, but, uh, we were talking about that, just how absurd everything has gotten, not just this, but it's like, we're living in bizarre world. It, things that are, that were stupid five years ago, look normal now compared to how stupid things have gotten. Um, it's just, it, it, we have reached a level of absurdity I never thought we would reach in this country, whether it's over health supremacy or, you know, d- blurring a line between the genders. Um, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Um, you know, we, one of the things we hit in episode nine, I, I, that we didn't hardly get any flack for, and people loved it, was the being honest about the, the trans agenda. And the way that they're trying to blur what's what that's one of the steps in the in the way they 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 take over country the, the communist playbook is they blur the lines between the sexes. Um, it's 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 part of the playbook. It's part of the way that they bring down a society. So we talked about that in episode nine. And got a lot of really positive feedback about it. But um, it's just look, it's you can feel one way. You know, you might feel less like you might be a male and not feel really manly. It doesn't mean you're not a male anymore. It just means you're not feeling all that manly at that point. And it could be because of all these xenoestrogens, you know, these, mm-hmm. these uh, 
the hormone imbalance that we're having as a result of all the toxicity and the EMFs and so forth. So, you know, we don't don't negate the fact that maybe some males feel less manly, but they're still male. I mean, look, can we uh, just get it over with and blame Arnold Schwarzenegger for calling us all girly men? I mean, that's really where it started. Let me tell you something, Arnold. I he was my inspiration for becoming a bodybuilder. I read the uh, his encyclopedia of a bodybuilder. Um, it's it's a book. It's an encyclopedia that's you know a few inches thick. And I read through it in a span of two days in high school. And I was like, I'm going to be a bodybuilder, and I'm going to look just like Arnold. I never looked just like Arnold, but I did become a bodybuilder. But he was my inspiration. But some of the things he said over the last few years, man, yeah. that guy's. I, I don't look up to him anymore. No, he's abandoned uh, even the things he was principled about in terms of uh, personal sovereignty, uh, the mm-hmm. government, the role of the government. I mean, he understood that as an immigrant and so- suddenly he became woke in certain areas where, yeah, kind of lost his way, our perspective anyway, on that. Uh, yeah. one of the things we we're talking about, uh, maybe genders or, or, uh, roles in society. I, I'm, you know, we're freedom people. Like if, if, if you're a woman, you want to go out in the workday world, I'm not getting in your way. I mean, this is about a choice you make. Like my wife rose to the level of doctorate and she chose along with me, when we had kids that the most important job she could do is be at home with the mm-hmm. kids care for the family. Now, is that means she's let something less than a woman. I think that was a profound thing a woman would do to, 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 to do everything for your family, your children. And we just debuted a new podcast on the Robert Scott Bell show podcast network until we come up with a better name. Our friend, Leslie, Leslie has a, a podcast called stay at home mom or stay at home mom. And I just, I, I didn't get to talk to Super Don about this or anybody, but Ty, I'm telling you, my wife and I listened to it yesterday. I was blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this woman is a star. She's like, she's so good from the very moment she opened her mouth through this 22 minute podcast on being a stay at home mom. I was, I was drawn in. I was in rapture. I was like, oh my gosh, everybody needs to hear this. It was fantastic. So shout out to Leslie. I didn't get to talk to you personally about this. You are a sensation, and uh, if you're already getting our podcast, she's in that, and you'll hear it. You can download it. Super Don, I, I you didn't tell me how good she was. You said she was good, but th- there it is uh, on our podcast site, and it goes out through all the RSS feeds. Uh, you notice and- I've changed the name now of the of the uh, the feed. No, what did you call it now? It's the Robert Scott Bell Podcast Network. Wow, look at that! An additional thing here, but did you? Did you know how good Leslie is at this? Well, of course I did. How could I not have known? In fact, you know, it was funny because, uh, you know, I was talking with Leslie. Yeah. And uh, she was like, well, you know, I want to do podcasts. I'm like, all right, cool. We, you know, yeah. we all love Leslie and like we do all of our loyal listeners. And and uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll help you out. Mm-hmm. So she sent me the, the file and I listened to it. And I was like, uh, uh, and I played it for my wife, my wife, and we we're like, uh, and so I wrote her back and I'm like, I am definitely going to work with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, she you is, know, you're right. I mean, she's a know, natural. There are, there are thousands and thousands of podcasts out there and I'm all for more podcasts. Cause I want people to speak. I want people to share their story. But one of those profound areas that I think we need more. And it was sort of like super Don used to produce, um, Darla shines show, the happy housewives, the, the club. happy housewife. And, you know, women have been denigrated in our lifetime for those that wanted to be homemakers, wanted to take care of the family. And Leslie makes it awesome and cool again. I'm like, this is great. We need her to get out that voice everywhere. So, Ty, and I know you would appreciate it. And so 
and so would uh, your whole family. But it's terrific. Yeah, you know, I don't know less of it. Sounds like a, a great podcast. I'll have to listen to it. And one of the things that's just totally false is that there's this perception today that if you stay at home as a mother, mm -hmm. you're like less than other women that work in the workforce and you're not all that bright and you're just doing it because, you know, there's nothing else you can really do. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Most stay at home moms that we know are brilliant. They could have a huge successful career out in the world, but they decided to stay home and focus their efforts on raising their kids. And that's, that's an extremely admirable quality. And it's something that's needed, especially in today's society where the schools are, you know, we, we've been calling the schools indoctrination camps for 20 years, but now just in the last year, now everybody sees that the schools are really indoctrination camps. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, stay at home moms are needed more now more than ever. And, and most stay at home moms that I know, they've got IQs way bigger than mine. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a thing. Well, you're, you're stupid. So you stay at home with your mother. No, brilliant women yeah. are staying at home because they're trying to, they're, they're pouring into their kids. So that the next generation mm -hmm. is able to fight some of the craziness that's going on that we've talked about. And, mm -hmm. um, because when you think about it, look, some of these some of these libs that are like going off, you go to debate with with a lib about any topic, they won't debate you. They'll scream in your face and call you names, but they can't argue their position because they don't even know their position. They just know that they hate you. And so, you know, what we're trying to do and you're trying to do is to pour the truth and facts and history into our children so they can have a logical debate about issues in the future as opposed to just going out in the middle of the street and screaming at the top of your lungs because you disagree with someone. And where are the days where we actually debated things? You know, they're mm -hmm. long gone. Yeah. I think that that's part of, you know, like I had Rick Jaffe on in the first hour of the show, Ty, and, you know, he's an attorney. He's not a homeopath, natural, but he has perspectives and opinions. And he, and he said some things that were controversial. Like he said, I could see a certain reason at a certain point that we could support, or I could support a mandate. And I'm like, Oh, them's fighting words at the same time. Yeah. I'm like, let's engage in the discussion and debate. It's not a definitive thing. We're not, we're not making law. We're talking, we're arguing. We're, and it was great. The discussion's important to have so that if we're ever confronted with a time again, that that is proffered, like we've seen it in, in the COVID era, which I think is not far behind. If WEF and those organ at WHO gets their way, the next declared pandemic, they'll come in and dictate to us. And it's not going to go well for them. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, if they try to mandate things like that for me and my family. But the idea is to engage in the discussion overtly, not covertly, so that we all are part of the discussion and we can establish uh, ways to, to communicate more efficiently and clearly about what we believe and perceive or uh, make better arguments when our arguments are falling flat or not landing. And so that's part of the aspect where we are all in agreement on suppression of speech. No, uh, -uh. that's just completely unacceptable. You know, I'm going to mandate that you can't prohibit free speech. Okay. There's a mandate. <laughs> That's the only thing, but playing with the idea loose and fast a little bit, but the idea is we must engage in things of controversy and not suppress them because we are offended by them or they, they make, it makes us angry. I, I more or less, and, and I haven't followed the controversy of Kanye or Yee or whatever about what he said, but I'm like, I don't want to censor him. Even if he says objectionable thing, I, I think to be out there and have everything spoken is better than to hide and let it seethe and rage underneath. Let it come to the surface so we can talk about the reasons those things are there. No, I agree completely, man. There's, we should be able to discuss anything. I mean, that's freedom of speech. 
And I was actually watching. I, I never watch Infowars. It's weird. That day that Ye was on Infowars, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn on and just see what's on Alex Jones today because I haven't listened in months. And and it was Kanye. And so, yeah, I mean, some of the things he said, you know, about you know, respecting Hitler, liking Hitler and so forth. I might disagree with him, but he's got a right to say it. Goodness gracious. I, I mean, let's not be the thought police. Mm-hmm. And um, and to be honest, none of us was there in World War II. None of us saw actually what happened. So just because the preponderance of the evidence shows that there were millions of Jews and other people that were killed in those concentration camps, it doesn't believe that someone can't believe the opposite. Because well, they, they made a law that you can't in Germany, of course. They did in part, Germany. Uh, uh, Holocaust denialism. Yeah. Look, there are people that are what we call uh, vaccine injury denialists. I mean, well, yeah. they they're pretty in my assessment, pretty abhorrent people, right? In the yeah. same way we could say, if someone tries to deny that many people were killed during the, the reign of Hitler and all that, it's a pretty abhorrent thing. Although again, the numbers, we talk about numbers as an accountant. Yeah. I think historically the numbers are probably not accurate, but does that mean the atrocity is any less? No. Right. Atrocities yeah. are atrocities, mass murder is mass murder, uh, denigrating people because of their religion or culture, you know, and saying you should be exterminated, dehumanizing. It's abhorrent. It is, whether it's done by a Nazi or, you know, you name it. Uh, But we've seen that in collectivism. That's where this is uh, rooted, because if you can say every Jew is this, which we know that's not true, right? Or every Christian is this or every, you know, whatever, lump anybody and say you're all the same. That becomes a very dangerous precedent of, of leading to what we call dehumanization and then the ability of the human mind to justify atrocities against people that are now subhuman. Mm-hmm. And so that's the great danger, not that we wouldn't have an objection uh, to someone who is of a certain faith doing something like that, but to say that because that one person did it and he's of that faith, everybody is smeared by the same broad brush. Yeah. That's absurd. And whether Kanye did that or not, I don't know because I haven't kept up with it, but that's where you can go intellectually. That's lazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you could, you kind of got the feeling during the, during the interview that there was going to be a lot of backlash. The the amount of backlash, I didn't have a clue how big it was going to be, but um, look, bottom line is he's got the right to think whatever he wants and freedom of speech is freedom of speech. And he wasn't, he wasn't advocating for the mass murder of anyone. He wasn't, he was, he basically was like, the Bible says to love everybody. So I love everybody and I love Hitler and I love Mao and I love all these (laughs) dictators because the Bible says to love everybody. Yeah. Maybe that's not the way that I would interpret those verses, but he's mm-hmm. trying to do what he thinks the Bible is saying. Mm-hmm. And so what? He's not, I mean, he didn't hurt anybody at that point. He, he said he he admired Hitler. Might, seem, might be wacky, but he didn't, he wasn't threatening to kill anyone. He wasn't Kathy Gifford on Twitter with uh, the head, head of Trump, yeah. which uh, got no attention. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. Like I said, this is not at all uh, an argument for censoring people we disagree with or are offend- we're offended by. You don't have a right not to be offended. That's, uh, you know, we're in talk media, talk radio. Of course, we say offensive things, whether it's intentional or not. I think mostly not. Unless you're a moron, then we might offend you on purpose. But uh, I excuse, you know, some of these medical doctors are waking up. So you're welcome here once you once you see through the fallacy of a lot of your teachings. And, of course, the medical doctors did engage in wholesale slaughter back in Nazi Germany. They mm-hmm. were the deliverers of a lot of horrific atrocities and experimentations. Mm -hmm. And yet here in the 21st century, the doctors have been deliverers of more atrocities with mRNA injections. 
that now they say, oh, well, I was lied to. Well, yeah, we told you you were being lied to, but you you went ahead and did it anyway. You're still going to have to account for your actions, whether in this life or the next. I'm not going to excuse your actions. I'm also not going to condemn you. That's not my role. I'm not I'm not the you know deliverer of, of whatever it is. I'm going to be compassionate and loving and welcome you in, even if you've done horrible things. And that's kind of that the realm of the controversy of Akanyi in terms of what you're saying he may have said or did say. I don't know what his intent was to do that. He certainly got a lot of publicity, maybe not good, but they always say, as long as you're talking about me, I don't know what his intent was. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But as I said, suppression of speech is a very dangerous precedent to set. And right now we are engaged in, of course, re the revelations of our government actively engaged in suppression of speech. And uh, there was a Fauci dep deposition that just occurred and also the Twitter files where we're seeing more and more, and you're directly related to this, Ty, because you and your wife were named, you and Charlene, one of the disinformation dozen, even though it was more than a dozen, uh, and they discussed you in the White House. So this censorship discussion we're having right now is appropriate, even if it makes people uncomfortable. And I ask you, you know, I think you've actually adjoined or somehow connected to the suit because of uh, depositions that occurred and challenges by attorneys general against the Biden administration. Uh, what are we learning from the Twitter files and or anything else about how you were suppressed? And of course, all of us, to some degree, uh, deplatformed and censored. Yeah, we wrote an article on that yesterday and um, more coming out. Not not a lot new, just confirmation of what we already knew, mm -hmm. basically new and new being different words. They're homophones. They sound the same. <laughs> but they're spelled differently. But we already knew this stuff. But it's just being confirmed by more depositions in the Fauci files and so forth. And the, the Twitter files is what they're calling it. But, you know, we already knew that that there was a backdoor portal where government was colluding with big tech to censor posts. Now we know. Now we've got screenshots of the emails where the Biden team would, would go in the backdoor portal and they would text Twitter or Facebook or wh whoever it might be. I think in this case, they're the Twitter files. So all of these are Twitter screenshots that we're looking at. But they'd say, look, more to review from the Biden team. You can see there on the screen. And then thanks all. And then, OK, grab the first one uh, and then put a profile on it and so forth. You can go on down and then they'll there'll be text that, yeah, removed, done, you know, taken care of. Mm -hmm. So the, the Biden team literally would go in and find tweets that they were not they thought were not appropriate. That may have been critical of them, may have been critical of the covid vaccine, may have been critical of back of uh, election integrity whatever it is and they would just tell twitter take it down and then they'd get a communication back you know in a few minutes done you know let us know if you need anything else done so it's some pretty damning evidence that we got released mm -hmm. so do you have uh let's say an active case that you're aligned with a joined with has there been a suit filed uh with you and some others that have, were directly harmed and there were absolutely dim damages that can be measured monetarily uh is there something going on or is it still preliminary yeah we've we've uh, joined bobby kennedy and mercola in getting a hold of those fi the files that were already released to missouri and um arkansas so or maybe no sorry missouri and louisiana okay. so those two states that have sued biden administration have gotten a whole bunch of discovery documents We've joined to try to get our hands on those from those attorneys general and so forth. And for, where it's going from there, I'm not at liberty to, dis, to discuss. But sure. let's just say that that if all goes the way that we're hoping, there will be some 
there'll be some wailing and gnashing of teeth eventually. Yeah. Well, they need to pay for their crimes and it is a crime to violate your first amendment protected right of free freedom of speech. And you know, the proclamations, the, the, the screaming and yelling, Oh, these are private companies. They have a right to, you know, it's like, it, this was not that this right. was government o- overtly yet covertly engaged, but now overtly as it's being uh, unleashed and, and revealed uh, engaged in censorship. And, uh, you know, we talked with Rick Jaffe last hour about that. I mean, there, there's no excuse for that. Uh, they don't get away with that normally. Now they've tried, but I think what is bubbling to the surface via these attorneys general, their suits at the state level and what's being revealed is collusion and direct, direct connection to censorship, not a perception or a plausible deniability that these companies were determining what they were allowing on their platform with no government interference or involvement. You know, look, it's the same thing that we've been, uh, quote unquote, making fun of China for for decades is the censoring of information by the government, the way the government controls the data that's that's disseminated to the people so that they only believe the communist side of the story. That's what we're doing. That's what we've that's what our government's been doing actively for years now. And now we have proof Mm -hmm. with these Twitter files. So uh, they've been colluding to censor and stifle free speech which is what we've always said, you know, hey, may not be bad, you know, it it may not be great here in America, but at least it ain't as bad as China. Mm -hmm. Well, now we're finding out it kind of is in certain ways. Um, It's not in other ways. I'm not comparing what's happening to the Chinese people. I mean, they're they're being brutalized. It's horrible what's happening to the Chinese people, but that's not happening here yet. But as far as the censoring of information, it, it certainly is. Government has got carte blanche to get rid of any information they don't like and tell the big, you know, big tech to take it down and they do it. They're just serving the government. And that's the problem. It's the collusion. That's the problem. If it weren't for the government intervention, does Twitter have a right to censor information as a private company? As long as they're a publisher, right? Not an editor of information. There's delineation there. Yeah, they can censor information, but not when it goes at the behest of the government at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the real the, the real problem is the collusion between the government and big tech. And now we have absolute proof that there has been collusion for a long time. We got the emails. We got the portal. We got the documents. We got the goods. And it's there's no going back now. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Casey Krejci last night, and mm-hmm. I think that this the release of the Twitter files and what Musk has done might actually be the the, the you know, the the event that saves the country. We look back and say, you know what, that event. Mm. took the country back in the right direction. And we can see because of that, we're still free now. Yeah. I wonder about that big. All the people that said, Hey, you know, there's a problem with the election in uh, 2020. Um, It looked like uh, media was censoring certain things like a Biden laptop thing, you know, and, and, Oh yeah, that's just Russia collusion. Now it turns out you're finding out, no, 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 the, the, the Biden people were actually pushing social media to suppress certain things right before the election. On and on it goes, the corruption, the collusion. Now, I'm not deluded, nor are you, Ty, to believe that uh, deceptions and cheating has not always been a part of election cycles. This is true of all elections throughout the history of the world, much less even in the United States, as much as we'd like to see. We're above and beyond that. No, there's plenty of evidence in history. So the fact that they've been able to criminalize, if you will, the speech of those who would just question, dare question the authenticity of of an election, Mm -hmm. that alone, again, is criminalizing free speech. The ability to question election. Oh, yeah, no, no, the Constitution doesn't protect that. You're now a domestic terrorist if you dare to question an election result. Really? 
It was okay when the Democrats did it. Now you, you follow along here. It's just, a, it's an absurdity again. Well, it is. Yeah. Cause when you look back after the 2016 election, all the Dems today that are saying you can't question the election, there's no such thing as election dishonesty or ballot rigging or whatever. They're the ones that were claiming there was ballot rigging and election dishonesty in 2016. So it's, it's just, the, it's the duplicity that, that bothers me, right? Yeah. Be consistent. If your position is that you should never question elections, then freaking hey, don't question the election when it's not in your favor, but they do. Yeah. So, but if it's, but if you're, if it's your position that you, should have the ability to have freedom of speech, mm-hmm. then don't try to squelch people's freedom of speech when they disagree with your position. And that's the problem. It's the duplicity of, it's 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 complete inconsistent. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's just prejudice. It, basically, it's prejudice to where mm-hmm. only your position is allowed to be heard. Voting supremacists. Well, uh, hey, they, can, can you get Super D to fill in? I got to go. I got to open the front door. I'll be back in two minutes. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Okay. All right. So, you know, one of the things uh, I want to talk about uh, regarding the the election discussion we're having, I was having a a talk with a a buddy of mine about this too, you know, the difference between the left and the right politically. And of course, it's not a definitive line, but in many cases, the uh, illusion of the Hegelian dialectic uh, manifested Republicans are this way, Democrats are this way or whatever. In the history, as I've talked about right-wing Republicanism, there used to be a a penchant in the 80s, particularly I remember those days when uh, the people on the right were calling for censorship and music and this and that. And now the left has become the cheerleaders for censorship where the right recognized, my gosh, that wasn't a good position to be in because once the left gets in control, they'll start censoring us which was the point of our founders going, don't give the power to the government to do that because it, you, you all, it might go in your favor one time, then it's it's going against you. And so when you win an election by a cheating and you're okay with it because your guy or gal won, that shows a level of spiritual immaturity and a lack of integrity. You know, I'd like to think that, that you want to win fair and square. And if you didn't win, the electorate went the different way, that there was some modicum of fairness that said, okay, well, we've got to do a better job of communicating our ideas, persuading, et cetera, getting the, the word out, whatever it is, as opposed to we got to cheat better than they cheated. Or if those that have cheated and won are okay with it, looking the other way, like a lot of people on the left uh, right now are going, well, at least uh, your guy didn't win. I hated Trump so bad. I couldn't stand. So even if we had to cheat to win, we're okay with that. That leads to more deception, more cheating, more lies, and a less functional republic, if you can even say that anymore, if we're functioning at all. And so the idea of doing it, doing things in integrity versus cheating and going, being okay with the outcome because at least we got our way. It's not going to go your way for long if you if you rest your uh, end result on a lie and a deception. It's not going to last. So anyway, that's just a, a little public service announcement uh, from me, RSB, the apparent health supremacist, if, if we're going to go with those T-shirts. We'll see. Well, that might be the one of the poll questions of the day, Super D, that you throw out there. Uh, whether people would wear the T-shirt? Yeah, it might be a poll mm-hmm. question. Yeah, or if it's maybe. too controversial, no way I couldn't well, do it. Well, today's poll question yeah. is not about T-shirts, but it's a holiday-related poll question. This is what went out in the newsletter today. When did you stop believing in Santa? What? Uh, Santa's not real. That was one of the options. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, this is really discriminatory to our Jewish friends and relatives. Am I, am I a, uh, 
You didn't a give Christmas, that option. A Christmas supremacist. Yeah. You Is know, that what's, yeah. what's going on here? That's some, there's something wrong with well, that. I'm going to assume that those <laughs> folks yes. that, uh, that uh, well, okay. So what you're saying then is that you can't be Jewish and believe in Santa. I would like to meet the Jewish boy or girl that <laughs> grew up with their parents. I didn't realize that that was not a thing. Because, I mean, Santa is not really like a, a religious figure, is he? I mean, I suppose if you want to get technical yeah. and let's look it up on Wikipedia and I mean, who is St. Nicholas and all that stuff. Screw you, that crap. <laughs> I don't I don't think that. Come on, that, come on dude. It's just Santa. I mean. You know, the, the big fat dude that lives in the North Look, Pole and brings people Christmas gifts, you know? You could have balanced it out and mentioned Hanukkah Harry. Okay? I'm just saying. Is that a thing? No, it's not I a thing. I don't think so. All right. See, you're stretching it now. But, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you, you've got your panties in a bunch like the guy that wrote that uh, health supremacist article. Leslie said, stop being a snowflake, RSB. I know. I, I know. I'm just throwing some fun at Super Anyway, deep. so, the, yeah. yeah, thanks. So the, the, the poll question there, um, right, when right. did when did you stop believing in Santa? And, then, you know, younger than five, between five and eight, between nine and 12, I never believed in the fat man or... <laughs> fat man. What? Santa's not real? <laughs> so that's the poll question of the day. We'll see what the results are. Everybody. The You're looking to offend everybody. Now, fat people, too. Wow. Super Don. Love you, man. You're so living sensitive. up here. It's great. It's a wonderful thing. Look, Super Don, Ty is, is offended. Look at his body language. Look at that offense. He, look, he's looking yeah. up. I can't believe I'm on this show with you guys. By the way, Ty, you are looking still super ripped. Since the, this, have you, Are you able to do sit-ups since those hernia surgeries? Look at that. Look at those. Look at the wow. good Lord. Yeah, I can do sit-ups now. My, my core is back to normal. Oh, that's great, cool. dude. It took a few weeks, though. It's at the very first, I got the hernia op operation done. Mm -hmm. um, and for like the first few weeks, I was like, man, this doesn't feel right. I was like, he did it wrong. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to have be worse off. But it's just all part of the healing process when you have yeah. abdominal surgery. But right now, it's completely healed. Um, I got a strong core. I'm swinging better baseball bat because I've got the core now. Yeah. Getting stronger. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. But hey, I was so the conversation we just said you're having about Santa Claus, the funny thing, see, we're Christian. A lot of Christians do celebrate Santa Claus. We never did because mom and dad were like, yeah, we're not going to lie to the kids. We're going to tell them the truth. Not right. that parents that are, believe in Santa Claus, they're not like, quote, lying. Oh, like a liars. You know, it's, it's just part of what this part of the fun. But we never did. But mm -hmm. I knew it, as a kid, there was no such thing as Santa Claus. Yeah. I figured it out before they even told us because I'm like, Man, there's no way that that dude fits in down the chimney, <laughs> and then he can make it to all the houses in the world. Because I've always been a numbers guy, and I remember being a little kid thinking, "There's no way he can fit all, to go to all the houses in the world." That's crazy. But anyway, and the mom and dad are like, "Yeah, we just celebrate Jesus on Christmas. We don't celebrate Santa Claus." So I knew from a young age there was no such thing as Santa Claus. My problem was going to people's houses that did celebrate Santa Claus. I don't know how many kids I ruined their <laughs> Christmas because I told them. <laughs> You stupid or something? There's no the such fat man can't fit down the chimney. You were fat shaming yeah. before that was a thing. We've got we've got a uh, a friend that's still a, still a friend of ours that still remembers the day that I told her that there was no such thing as Santa Claus and just destroyed her Christmas. Oh my gosh! So. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you know we talk a lot about free speech and we exhibit and live our freedom of speech here. One of the ways you can experience freedom of speech is by attending events where Ty Bollinger goes, or I'm there, or, you know, like the Health Freedom Expo we had in October, which was so awesome. 
And Ty, we had a great time with you. And um, the virtual expo is coming up, I think, the 18th and 19th of February. And there's a special this week uh, that uh, through Friday, you can get a little discount on being a part of that. And you get to see Ty's presentation, mine, all the ones, even if you were there, you couldn't see all of them. Plus, there'll be additional, um, uh, well, new new submissions, if you will, for presentations for that event and uh, some live uh, panel discussions that I'll be moderating as well for the event. So I encourage you to check out TrinityHealthFreedomExpo.com and be part of that in February as well. And a bunch of other events. I'm going to be at one in January. You could see upcoming events. And then uh, I think our friends at Nutritional Frontier said that they're delaying the February one to like April. And we'll, so we'll have a couple of events in April. That one will be in Tampa, but check out NutritionalFrontiers.com. Great discounts. RSB 15 gets you even additional discounts from that. And uh, the Be Healthy Utah event will be in April uh, in Sandy, Utah again. And that's, so we've got upcoming events. We'll be adding to the list of things that are up and coming. I don't know if Ty, you have events scheduled for next year. I was thinking by the time you, if you do the truth about cancer event, because you're so fit again, you'll be able to lift me off stage. If I go over half a milli nanosecond. Oh, if we, we haven't decided yet, but if we do have the event, then I will definitely be taking you off stage because you are going to be going over. I'll rig your clock. I'll <laughs> you, go over. you know what? I'm going to have to be faster because I get so absorbed in what I'm trying to communicate that I, I forget where I am, even though I don't go over but I'll, I'll not see you and you'll sneak up on me. And normally I could probably sneak away. I'll get you. I'll get you. But yeah, we haven't, we haven't uh, made a decision yet, but if we do, I will be letting you know for sure, buddy. Okay. All right. Well, we've got lots to look forward to and uh, appreciate all the support out there. And uh, just a quick shout out to my buddy, Babry. We had on Friday show originally from Georgia, not the Georgia I grew up in, but the one that was occupied by the Soviet union. Uh, he escaped and got, he went to Israel and then came to America, just like yesterday's uh, guest Hava, which was terrific, all about moms. Uh, she left uh, Soviet Georgia and came uh, to Israel originally and now is in America doing great work. And he's got the Folium PX product, F-O-L-I-U-M-P-X.com. And they have, it's like a Chernobyl level antioxidant and binds to radiation stuff. It's great. And we'll be doing more. I'm looking forward to talking to people that have been benefited by it and getting you more information out there. So shout out. Hi, Babry. We know you're there. We're going to coordinate getting on some good folks that are work with you on this as well. I'm excited to uh, learn more. All right. So we got other things to discuss here for about uh, 10, 11 minutes before we go into bonus round. Let me see one of the uh, arguments. Oh, this is a controversial subject. Um, this was an article from Natural News by Ethan Huff. And it says, is the health freedom movement being infiltrated by covert actors with ulterior motives. Think about that. I mean, that like, oh, are we going to have to now live in paranoia? Like who's real and who's not? Because the movement is growing. And I think it is a threat, a genuine threat to the power structure that doesn't want us to be free. So would we be surprised if there were agents provocateur in the health freedom movement? You know, I haven't read the article, Robert, and I'm sure you're not shocked that I haven't read it. Um, <laughs> Super Don, especially. Oh my yeah. gosh. Super D's like, oh. Super D's like, oh. <laughs> uh, would we be surprised? I'd be surprised if there are not people that are already infiltrated. Mm -hmm. um, of course there are. I don't know who, but I'm sure that there are pe people that are plants to make us look stupid or to lead us down the wrong path. Th that's the way the other side works is that they infiltrate and they plant. Um, so are there, I, I would guess there probably are. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but the last couple of weeks, a lot of infighting between people, you know, groups mm -hmm. of people that I, I respect both groups and they're fighting mm -hmm. each other. So it's like, man, how or why I, does that happen? I mean, 
Do you yeah. think that organically is it in our best interest to fight each other when we're trying to survive in the midst of uh, battles of collectivists and world dominators that want us to, you know, fight each other instead of them? No, and it's not. It's not in our best interest to fight each other. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone in the movement either. Mm -hmm. um, and there's there's certain people that I, you know, just don't care for that are in our movement. But you know what? I don't talk publicly bad about them. I just don't mention it. Sure. You know, there's because there's that's the way it is with every group of people. There's mm -hmm. people you like and people that you don't. And so I would just recommend if you don't like somebody, just don't talk about them. But don't make it a big stink to where people that are on the outside look in and say, oh, look, that natural health movement's all in shambles. They're arguing and infighting and just mm -hmm. zip it. You know, there's a, there's a, I can't remember if it's in Proverbs or in Psalms in the Bible. I think it's a proverb. It says, you know, even a fool when he shuts his mouth seems wise. And so it's like, just if you don't have something nice to say about somebody, mm -hmm. I would just recommend zipping it. And it doesn't mean that you can't write it. I'm not speaking specifically about this article here in That's natural true. news or anybody specifically i just like good general advice try to say positive things about people that are in our movement and if you don't have anything nice to say just don't talk about them unless you know a thousand percent for sure for sure that what you're saying is accurate don't speculate yeah exactly so i look at this issue and i and i recognize the reality of it that we have been infiltrated if we talk about it, but it, even the health freedom movement is not one movement. It's kind of a ragtag bunch that occasionally we get together and, and try to plan. And there are people, good people coming together to plan things and, and, and really empower people, not disempower them. But it's very easy to be thrown off if you don't have what I call the spiritual center. And I recognize the plurality of this audience. There are people from all backgrounds and walks of life and religious beliefs. But when I talk about your connection to God, whatever that might be, that that is where we need to go because sometimes and a lot of times our minds, our emotions can deceive us and we can fall prey to people that are, that know how to manipulate those things mentally or emotionally. And then we are thrown into a disarray because we begin to attack people rather than, you know, find out the merits of who they are, why they're here and get, you know, dig into the backstory. And there could be some people that are suspicious that are genuine. There could be some people that you think are genuine that are actually, there's a lot of layers to this that I acknowledge. And I don't know if I have, the mathematical formula to go, oh, I can identify each and every person that's an infiltrator versus someone who's genuine. But partly also is looking at the track record, looking at the behavior over a period of time, the consistency, the long, you know, that kind of thing. Observe somebody by what they do more than by what they say. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that can be a litmus. Now, somebody could be playing a long game, but it's less likely that they would survive that level of scrutiny, of observation, observation, mm -hmm. observation. And then ultimately, you know, there's a gut feeling that I think goes beyond the mind and the emotions that is more connected to spirit, right? That can guide us through those times where we're listening to those, hey, a little warning bell's going on, Ty. What is that? I'm not sure. Let me investigate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I said, nothing wrong with investigation, right? And you and, and I agree, you, you do have like a, a spiritual sense about some people uh, or not just people, just events and so mm -hmm. forth. I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, as a Christian, that's what we would call the Holy Spirit inside you. Right. But it gives you that sixth sense or whatever. So and, and a lot of times people do exude a certain energy. So you don't have to be a Christian to have that kind of an antenna. I mean, you can be uh, some of a different faith or no faith at all. But you can everybody, I think, can agree that there's some some people that when they walk in the room, you're like, Oh, something's a little bit off there, right? There's something a little bit, you can, you can feel that energy. Whereas 
at the same time, people that are have good energy, like my mother, um, wish you would have been able to meet her. You never mm -hmm. were. She died in 2004 before we even knew each other. But she was one of those people that would walk into a room and like it just lit up and everybody uh, was attracted to her and everybody wanted to go talk to her. And the whole room had a different feel after she walked into it. Mm -hmm. And I know there's people that, you know, that are like that. Yes. Um, so people definitely put off a, a certain energy. And so I think we need to listen to that, you know, our inner core, mm -hmm. or whatever that, that, that feels that energy, because that's one of the ways that we can critically evaluate whether we want to be close to someone or not is the energy that they put off. Yeah. Well, there's a heart, you know, I talk about the gut, the heart, these things that are somewhat esoteric, even though, yeah, we can point to a heart in the body, but the senses sometimes are, uh, they're hard to describe in a materialistic reductionist way, but it's a recognition that you have, uh, you gravitate towards certain energies or certain people you're around will deplete you and you leave and you're like, oof, I just don't feel good. I don't feel like those things are very real. They'd like us to not pay attention to those things. And those kinds of subtle energies that if you become attuned to that language, and it's a, it's a skill too. I mean, we could say we're born with it, but very often we are trained out of it as we become worldly from our childlike innocence and our connection with God. And then suddenly the mind develops and who's programming that mind. And then we perceive and believe differently. And we start discounting the reality of the relationship that used to be normal and natural as a child, right? Mm -hmm. To be that open. And we have to protect ourselves too, right? To be so open, you become, you know, a very vulnerable and it becomes a dangerous situation. So you learn as you become an adult, how to work with that kind of thing. But oftentimes in our culture, the West, so materialistic and reductionistic that we discount those sensations, those feelings. We dismiss them because, oh, somebody might think we're weird or something along those lines. So we're now applying into the social consciousness. And that's something that's used against us and has been utilized very efficiently in the COVID era. When you thought peer pressure was over when you graduated high school, they made you, oh my gosh, you're going to be ostracized by your community, your friends, your neighbor, your church, if you don't put on the mask. So you see how this is played out at every age. Yeah. And speaking of masks, I mean, I saw some people out yesterday wearing masks by themselves in their own car. So, I mean, it's that level is still, it's not as pervasive, but it's still out there. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy the way that people have been brainwashed regarding those masks, you know, in light of all the studies that we know we we've known for forever, but now even major studies are showing that there's really no benefit at all of the mask. And yeah. even the, even CDC and NIH are admitting that we still have people that are constantly wearing the mask. Um, what I've tried, what I've had to do is just, try to be a little bit more gracious towards them and a little bit less judgmental towards them. Mm -hmm. anyway. yes. Because in the past, what I would do would be like very sarcastic feeling internally towards them. Like what a freaking moron. You know? <laughs> We've all felt that. But, but at the same time, um, I was just at the store earlier today and this just nice elderly African-American woman got out of her car and she put on the mask and I was like, man, she's just brainwashed. And, you know, it's so I've tried to try to internally feel love towards those people and more compassion, as opposed to just being like disgusted by the, by the, uh, the sheepleness of them mm -hmm. or whatever you would call it. Because honestly, I was there before in that same state of brainwashing. It may not have been about the masks, but it was about other things. So I've, I've become try to become more gracious towards those people because they're really just victims of the system that are brainwashing them. It's not, and it doesn't even mean that they're a weak-minded person because I consider myself a pretty strong-minded person, but I remember believing a bunch of the brainwashed yeah. propaganda 
20 years ago that now I'm like, I can't believe I ever believed that, but I did. And it wasn't because I was stupid and it wasn't because I was weak minded. It was just because I fell victim to the really programming brainwashing that we I are programming, all the time. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a, it's definitely part of the challenge of my journey, you know, doing this show all these years, trying not to forget or trying to remember when I didn't know what I know today. Mm -hmm. And then having, of course, compassion for those. And right now we're living through a time where a lot of people are uh, waking up to a horrendous scenario where they're now having to acknowledge that they were deceived and lied to. And maybe they were considering themselves very smart and intelligent because they're doctors and PhDs and things. And now they have to confront the fact that they were deceived. And I think that's, again, the hubris uh, of the ego versus the humility before God that uh, you know, as much as I, I joke about knowing stuff at the same time, there's a lot I don't know. And I want to always remember that because if I get, and that's why I have super Don and I have my wife, if I get too cocky at any point, just, you know, slap me down, I'll deserve it. And you I'll guys, you too. yeah, of course. And Ty will remind me as well. But the point is always remember where you came from yeah. because there were points in times where, where I was as ignorant as anybody on certain things. And if you, you know, now I'm righteous about it. No, that's not cool. So yeah, when we have those sensations and you acknowledge it, I felt it too. And occasionally still do. And I try to go, all right, let's have that compassion again. Let's be loving and, and understanding of their journey. And yes, maybe they're not where we would like them to be, but that's the freedom that they chose even in to be unconscious at this point. And some will not survive it. Some have not survived it uh, in this lifetime. And uh, it's a hard thing to witness, especially when we lose friends and loved ones to that. Uh, so we're not going to stop fighting for them at the same time. we got to recognize we can't force them to become aware and awake of the things we're aware and awake about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, just remember, like you said, we were there too. At one point, all of us were there too. And, you know, there may be other reasons why people are doing things too. I mean, I thought about that. It's like, she may have a real condition that she has to wear a mask. You know, that lady this morning, it may not have been COVID related at all, but we automatically assume, oh, she's brainwashed for COVID and she's trying it may be a legitimate reason. So, you know, I think that's that, that's what separates us from the animals, right? We have compassion on each other. Animals don't really. Uh, they don't even have compassion on their young. Yeah. So um, that's that's one of the things that I think we should try every day to be compassionate towards other people. The world would be a better place and there'd be a lot more, a lot less fighting and a lot more understanding if you just try to see it from other people's perspective. Yeah. Um, because I think most people just want to get along. I think most people just want to live a peaceful life. We're, we're, we're brainwashed by the mainstream media to think that everybody hates everybody and everybody mm -hmm. wants to fight, but the reality is most people don't. That's hey, just it's so good to have you back on board. We've missed you. And I'm glad whenever you can stop by and be part of our outside the box Wednesdays, we have a good time together. And I think the oh, discussion yeah. is, is very important to have and yeah. uh, a little bit of lightheartedness, jokiness and controversy all mixed into one and shake and, it up. And the tie dye, you got to have the tie dye. Right. And one more thing. What is it? I forgot at the end of every show. What is that? I can't remember, but I think the power to heal is yours. Oh, we're back. I, I wasn't as familiar with that musical bed that you just played there. Are you there? That's one I, I I haven't played very much. I like it because it sounds like you're at a uh, a college football game. Oh, that was that was definitely college football yeah. like it was halftime there. So uh, that was fun. You mentioned yesterday. Well, I'm just going to interrupt you. Okay, like go that, ahead. Huh? Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you'd mentioned. Well, I think it was yesterday. 
And actually, we'll, we'll circle back around to talking about Leslie again because hmm. uh, you were commenting after you'd listened to the podcast. You were like, wow, that really sounded good. I really like that. I wish you'd do something like that for me. And yeah, I, was like, I know. I'm like, I feel like top <laughs> liver suddenly, you know? I'm like, oh, no, cool. no, it's okay, Robert. Uh, it's actually, it's been a while since I've updated our uh, our intros and stuff like that. So I, I'm going to maybe work on that. Like I've done in the past, um, during the Christmas holiday, when we take a few days off, I'll I'll spend some time. Uh, yeah, it's a good time every year. Stuff, you really so. revitalize and, you know, charge it up because Look, the, the talent you have to do things like what you did. And Leslie, look, she's bringing it, no doubt. It's not, you couldn't, like say, just because you have awesome ways about doing intros and music beds and all of that, if the show in between that sucked, it would still suck. True. You'd be like, awesome inter- awesome start, awesome finish. Like, and you know, there are a lot of people that have shows like that where yeah. they have like these amazing intros and this, you know, bigger than life sound and stuff like that. And then their show sucks. And it's like, you have to at least live up to, you know, the hype, right? And, yeah. and um, you know, Leslie does that, and a lot of people do that. But I hear what you're saying, so I might change a few things up here for the new year. Yeah, but honestly, I'm not blowing proverbial smoke. I was just blown away, and I don't get impressed by much. I was like, Leslie brought it. She brings the emotion, the passion, the humor, the stories of relevance, the realness of it, the authenticity. And like, you know what? That's a big part of it. You bottle that up, dude, and sell that. that. Dude, wow. that is a big part of it. When it comes to talk show hosts, whether we're talking about radio or podcasts or something mm-hmm. like that, the the what gives a show a great mm-hmm. sound is authenticity. Yeah. It's the it's the difference between somebody going, I'm going to do a radio show and I'm going to read this and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, because I want to be big and famous and stuff like that, I'm going to put on a, a sh- an act, right? A performance. Yeah. Uh, very few people can do that um, unless it's something they genuinely feel and they, they, they think. And, you know, what it is that they're saying is coming from somewhere other than their head. It's coming mm-hmm. from their heart, you know. You can tell those things. And listen, there are some people that BS their way through a very successful radio show. They know how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But in most cases, people get on, they crash and they burn when they're trying to BS people uh, on a a show that they're trying to do. Because you can tell it's it's fake. It's phony. And, you know, in this case with... with, um, you know, it's actually, it's one of the things, that, the reason why you do so well and the reason why I was drawn to you is because it was like, you know, in the, in the very beginning, because it's, it's real. You, you are you. What, what, you, what you see on, 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 uh, on the, the, the screen or what you hear on the podcast, that's you. Mm-hmm. It's the same, you're the same person off the air that you are on the air. There's not a lot of radio hosts that, that are like that. Do you remember back in the day with the ex-wife, that's what it used to be called when you were on a network. TRN. Another network they call the ex-wife, right? As we yeah. say. Uh, but the, when we were with TRN, and one of the things, because look, whatever we say about the business model, all the things that go on behind the scenes and running those businesses, they at one point they were a top flight, like top two, top three, as far as syndicators. They were the, 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 the largest independent syndicator of talk radio in the country at yeah. one time. And, and of course, you don't get there just, because they like you. In fact, they might not like you. But the point is, 
you know, and I, they were giving me advice. It was like, what do I do? What do I do? And, and I just remember it was be you, be you, be you. That was it. Be more of you, be authentic. And that yeah. was their message. Uh, even though I, I don't know that every host was that, uh, certainly it was something I took to heart. It was like, oh, that's it. You know, I don't have to be anybody but me, just be me. Cause it was yeah. next level from the time when I opened up the microphone in 1999 and a weekly show uh, with my mentor and my mom was on it too, as well. I mean, it was like low key, but it was, yeah, we were passionate about the subject, knowledgeable about it, but nobody was telling us, this is how you do it. This is what you should do. Shouldn't do. It wasn't that. And now I had the ability to ask from like the highest level, if you will. And they, they that was their advice. Be you. Um, Be you. Well, and you know what, that, that there was, they had some good advice that they mm -hmm. really, they, they drummed into people. That was one of them. And it's a funny story, that whole BU thing. Yeah. You know, we've had Mike Phillip on this show in the past. Yeah. I think maybe once or twice. And, and he, he had a, 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 has a radio show. Had, well, it was, it was syndicated on GCN at one time. Uh, it is no longer. Did I, did I tell you the story about how he got kicked out? How the, <laughs> there was a song mm -hmm. on, on, his, on the show that, that he said he wanted to play. And part of the beginning of this song is they play the emergency broadcast system sound. Okay. Well, the, the George over yeah. at GCN, um, uh, apparently he got some phone calls from radio stations. <laughs> that's FCC, that's FCC <laughs> that, violation stuff. That yeah. It might be. I don't know if it is or not, but in any case, he promptly removed the show from GCN. And so it ended up going bouncing around and ended up on Mojo 5.0 mm -hmm. uh, and, and stuff. But in any case, uh, we would talk every once in a while, Mike and I, because I was producing his show. Yeah. Um, and and one day, he was, we were just having a conversation. I said, listen, because he was trying to think about what he should do or something like that. And I told him exactly what you said there. Mm -hmm. I said, the, the best thing you can do is just be you. As the dogs are being themselves. Perfect time. Yeah. And my wife's not here. So, you know, when, when the parents are away, the kids yeah. act stupid. <laughs> anyway, so I told him, I said, be you. You know, it's just the, the, the best thing you can do is be 100% genuine because that is what will come out on the air. Uh, rather than you trying to be something that you think you should be, just be you. Yeah. Well, he took my advice mm -hmm. and he turned the show into a, a full-blown uh christian ministry like bible That's study type, yeah. you know like type thing and, and, and so it was really is and, and I, I kind of like talked my talked him into uh becoming so i it's like it, that's not my niche but you had no idea that's who he was either but when you I, said that well no not really and it, whatever his life it, it, it took a you know a turn and he went through some stuff and and stuff like that and now if you listen to his show uh, geez, I, I'm going to go beat a dog. Yeah. I uh, out here. You're fine. I didn't really say that. Did I? No, but anyway, I you, you go and listen to his show now and the guy's yeah. just amazing. It is brilliant. I mean, really, he really knows his stuff and, and he has, you know, a, 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 you know, a decent sized following. And, um, I'm like, I'm just like amazed at how, how great he is. Um, yeah. and natural he is in that context where it's just you know he just he's talking about you know the bible and and scripture and mm -hmm. and relating stuff in life and and oh it's just he really he really good the problem is that i really don't have much to do for him anymore okay 
you know, I just, I don't, I don't, that, that's not my wheelhouse. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know how to do this now. And so like that, and I'm, and I'm good with that, you know, because it's yeah. like, ultimately I wanted him to be good at what he was doing. Right. And now he really is. And you know, I, I don't really do much for him anymore. Yeah. Well, and if you could be you, being you really, it, it, it goes a long way and not just on radio, but what, just does, in that, life. what does that say about me? Cause it's all about me, right? You've that been means, you since I've known you. So, I mean, that's no, not, I was thinking there was no challenge there. I was thinking that because I don't listen to you, you're still here trying to tell me that I should be <laughs> whatever you, we, you've still got stuff to do. In other words, you're not, we're not out of, out of super Don yet. No, nah, uh-uh. I, I gave up on trying to change you a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you out. And so it was kind of like, okay, this is what we're doing. So, yes. Because, you know, there were times in our past where I was just like, you know, you ought to try doing it this way. You ought to try doing it that way. And some of that stuff, you know, it it worked. Mm-hmm. And other times when I tried to get the movie in a direction I thought would be interesting to try, it was a train wreck. Yeah. You know, it was because it wasn't you, you know. Mm-hmm. You remember that one? I don't know. You may not remember this. I do just because it was probably too traumatic did. for me. Do you remember the time when I tried to get you to do a scripted show? Oh, I have a, that's a, that's a, that is a traumatic memory. Oh, what a horrible show that was. <laughs> it was just terrible. It was just, you know, we you were that. trying we're and I, you, you, you get points for trying, but it was yeah. just like, you know, it's like, and you were like trying to read the stuff and it was so phony and fake. And it was like, like, what is this? yeah, this is yeah. not going to work. Now there are some hosts that totally need that yeah. and they do that. They can't do it without a script. Mm-hmm. They're just like there's like a deer in the headlights if they don't have yeah. you know like something to to read. I, I can read a script, follow. but it's more like narration, you know. And, and there's a part yeah, and that's just not you. I, I'm doing a lot of that for the um the documentary, uh, safe and effective uh, on right. the vaccine injuries, and you know I'm narrating it as well as a host and interviewing people. But narration is not what we do here. I mean, occasionally we'll read a little bit, even a paragraph of a story. Uh, because it's important to communicate what we're reviewing or, or relating to you about. But you're right. Uh, it's that's not my way. Like if I was a news reader, like because remember they say the news, they, the news scrolls down their things. That's all they do every day. They're high They're high paid readers, if you yeah. will. P- carry on. My headphones fell out. Hold on. <laughs> Getting a little too animated there. everything okay yeah i can hear you now okay uh, i guess this is my arms flailing as i'm talking with them yeah you're right? actually me like, boom and and so i'm sorry about that but you know the reading of something and being paid to read uh i guess there's a purpose in that but for those that are like newscasters the one person that i was impressed with carrie lake right the mm-hmm. woman that ran for governor mm-hmm. in arizona I wish, TV she, I wish she would win I, she's not giving up on the challenges by the way but she got out from behind the teleprompter and you could tell she was, you know, she's got a genuine belief and a passion about something. She's able to uh, be very eloquent about things without a script. And and to me, that, you know, it tells me more about, you know, it, authenticity in a sense. You know, if if it's scripted, you can't continue to go out off the cuff and, and be successful in terms of communication. Uh, so um, you got to be knowledgeable about the subject matter and then practiced in terms of communication. And that's part of the process that, you know, has gotten us here where we are. How many years into this? A lot of years. I think it, what the new year will be 2023. That'll be, that'll start the 24th year of broadcasting for me. That's pretty, pretty big. Uh, as far as you know, the, if you're in the numerology, the number 12. It'll be 18 years for me in 
technically February, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's crazy to think about. Leslie says you are such a great encourager. Encourage. Courage. Courage. By the way, do you are? the day we forgot to get to? No, you. She was talking about me. You. I'm an encourager. Yeah. She said All that. Right. You can't deny it. Leslie said it. Leslie. Okay. Said it. Uh, question of the day or comment of the day. Did we get it? It was a, a comment of the day. We'll just throw it out there like that. Okay. Yeah. Go full screen. Thank you. Uh, this is from Bill. Hello. Once again, without question, the RSB health program is among the best. However, I must protest your use of the words more happy. <sighs> this is not the first time I think that Bill's written in about saying more happy. I do. I, um, do I do that in jest or am I doing it seriously when I say it? I'd have to go back to the tape. Mm -hmm. Typically, when you say it, you correct yourself. Okay. I'm not and you laugh about it, and you say you're going to get in trouble from your wife. But now I know I'm going to get in trouble from Bill. He says on December 5th show, at approximately one hour and 56 <laughs> minutes into the program, Jeez. approximately, he had a mild heart attack. I'm hoping that was a pretend heart attack. After hearing more happy, the doctor said, one more heart attack, and I am toast. Please help me stay healthy. I am available if you need my help. Oh, Bill, now I'm going to be very nervous about saying more well, and happy together in the same sentence. And it's not yeah. certainly not my intent to elicit any kind of heart attack, mild or otherwise. So yes. what to do with this? Now he's, I'm going to have a, 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 what do they call it? You know, I do want to point out the fact, and I'll just, I'll show, I could, I could prove this to you if I needed to, but when he wrote in, yes, he left the O off of hello. He did. So it said hell once again. I fixed that. Oh. And put the O on there. And then if you notice also that uh, if you go here to where he says more happy, yeah, uh, or excuse me, at the end of the word hearing, and then there's, there's more happy again, there's, there's an improper use of quotation marks there Ooh. where he's just got one quotation at the beginning of more, but he fails to put it at the end of happy. Did you um, nearly have a heart attack when I feel to? like I've got myocarditis coming on from Ooh, reading this? See, Bill, be careful what you do. You could be uh, eliciting a response you no, don't want. Proper use of of, of Bill. Uh, you got to get back, back to me on there. this because, as Super Don said, if I say it, I know I say it when I say it, and then I laugh and I say <laughs> I'm in trouble. Usually, does it, yes. Does it count if I catch myself, or is it too late? Is that I just don't know how fast that that uh, myocardial infarction occurs, and I hope it doesn't really happen. Is there like a five second rule or something like that? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Within five seconds, you correct yourself. It's okay. I'm okay. <laughs> All right, Bill, get back to me on that. Thanks for your comment of the day. Make me very right. nervous now about the language I use. Oop, there we go. Will you stop pushing buttons? buttons? I'm pressing buttons. Clicking buttons. All anyway, right. so again, I really, I, I'm intrigued about this t-shirt idea because I haven't seen anybody do oh, this before. Friendly. Yeah. And I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to end up like, um, you know, on NBC Nightly News or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is this being a little too edgy here by putting out a thing saying health supremacy? I don't know. I kind of, I in 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 one way, I like it because it's kind of in your face. On the other hand, though, I you know I don't want to do the wrong thing. So you're a sensitive guy. You know, you're thinking about it. You're just going off half cocked there. So good job. All right. So <laughs> we'll 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 get more of your input on that. And you by the that? way, I do want to mention. Um, yeah. We've been singing the praise of Leslie. Praises. Yes, yeah. um, I am currently in discussions with perhaps our next uh, uh, podcast that might join the, uh, the, the network. Podcast network. Yeah. Um, and that would be Ula. 
Really? Is Ula yes. considering it seriously? Ula is considering. I'll be talking with her after the show today. We were chatting earlier. We would have such a powerful podcast network with Leslie and Ula on the same. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then Lori is actually, uh, you know, she's saying here that she's uh, hoping to start recording her podcast tomorrow evening. Oh boy. So might be able wow. to maybe like offer her, you know, if nothing else, maybe. Um, well, you know what I would have them do if they haven't already, you've got to listen to Leslie's and this isn't so that you sound like Leslie or anybody does because Leslie is Leslie. Ula is Ula, Lori is Lori. Right. But what I would like you to gain from what you experience with Leslie, the feeling that you get, the engagement with the voice, the vibration, the energy, the emotions, the stories. And, and then you have to be you, once again, as we say that, your own way or style. But the authenticity, if you sense that, that's what you bring to it. It's who you are. And I know both Ula and Lori as well, and they are authentic souls you know, living an extraordinary life of uh, uplifting others and engaging in integrity. And you bring that, you're going to succeed. But in terms of uh, communication, not everybody is ready to communicate in a podcast format. But if you bring the passion, if you bring the authenticity, even if you flub a line or two or 10, there's so much leeway. There's so much leeway there. And I just, like I said, just get a sense of it uh, from that. And um, I want you to succeed too. And Super Don does too. That's why Leslie was just saying be that you. About you. Yeah, just be, be you. Be you. That's yeah. it. So anyway, yeah, cool things might be happening here uh, <laughs> in the future. I'm kind of excited about it because I've always wanted, I've always thought this would be a great idea. It was just, you know, it was going to happen, start happening when it was supposed to happen. But. Well, it's an organic organically grown network if you will and it is yeah. but, and, and the thing is is and i've mentioned this before that i've got a website that i have just been sitting on for a few years now it's like i get i, I pay like every month for this this website but i don't want to let it go it's kind of like you with the end the mid mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> which i think you still pay for right I, yeah i do it's not much every year but yeah. i have it because there might be a time when the consciousness is ready for it like end the fed yeah but I've got a website that I just have uh, been hanging on to that in this, I have this, a dream, right? Mm -hmm. I have a dream. Yeah. That one day there will be a website that is going to uh, be like a health talk radio, health freedom talk radio website with, mm -hmm. with that kind of content on it. And so yeah. who knows? Yeah. Who knows? This may turn into something may bigger. Have, again, the organic evolution of what we're doing here. By the way, Leslie, I didn't do, do say those nice things about you just for more pie, but that's very kind of you. Yeah, By the way, I, knew, I knew there had to be an ulterior. You didn't offer more pie, as I said, that I'm teasing. So y'all think yes. that, you know, okay, I, he could, she couldn't be that good, can she? And he couldn't be that nice, could he? He's doing it for pie, isn't he? Uh, let so you Bolden, think. Bolden's trying to be a troublemaker over here. Yeah, did you see what he said? I did. You read it so I don't get in trouble. Bolden wants to know, because you were talking about saying more happy. Bolden uh, says, is more happy better or worse than more urine? <laughs> Stop oh, no. it. Oh, no. Stop it. Oh, no. Lorelai is going to be upset now. I'm sorry, Lorelai. We love you. And <laughs> oh, my gosh. The things we do, the things we, we say, even. the things we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, Leslie yeah. is now saying in the chat room. I have never felt more encouragement in my entire life. This community is absolutely amazing. 
And I'm like, whoa, 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 community. I thought this was about Super Don and me. Community? Me more people than just us? But okay. All right, Larry. We have an awesome community. Yes, we do. (laughs) I love that. That's so awesome. (sighs) All right. So what's coming up next here? Oh, yeah. What's tomorrow? We got uh, Jonathan E. Mord, right? We we should, hopefully. Yep. And I I would be... in trouble in my own mind if I don't mention that in history, a day that will live in infamy, that didn't, Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th. It is. You're right. Yeah, I did see this, something about that this morning. And people don't don't uh, really think about it much anymore. It, you know, each year that we've talked about it a little bit, some more, and I think it was on the, the specific, was it the 70th anniversary? It was a bigger deal, or 175th? I can't remember what year we really did. Uh, we opened with, you know, the announcement. With like, the, with yeah, the, the, the radio. The radio. But I always, always went into a discussion of the immune system always wanted to make an analogy to that when you let your guard down right or whether you know we see historically there's evidence that it might have been purposeful that fdr let his guard down or our guard down to not pay attention to the signals that this was coming because they wanted the war to start they wanted to intervene and the only way to get the public behind it after world war one where they became american people they called it isolationist but i would like to say non-interventionist and they wouldn't they weren't willing to go into world war 2 unless an attack happened so arguably there's historical significance and precedence that uh, fdr knew and others knew about the impending attack on pearl harbor and let it happen because that was the only way to get the people behind a declaration of war in the people's house the house of representatives the last time that has occurred a constitutionally let's say sanctioned even even though it may have been arguably based on a deception or an event that you'd call not a pure false flag because even false flags people die they can and they happen but who perpetrated it or who didn't stop it much like we've talked about 9-11 and all the indications that that would happen the plans the project for a new american century the pnac commission the report all of those things that precipitate it and the purposeful ignoring of it so it could happen and they could elicit the response they wanted. Now, after 9-11, remember, there was no House of Representatives declaration of war because who was the enemy? You know, tried to make us believe it was Osama bin Laden. Okay, how do you declare war on one person? Versus then they said, oh, it's a tactic. We're going to uh, declare war that we're not going to declare. We're going to declare kinetic action, approval against terrorism. Which was what? A war against a tactic? with no defined enemy and no de- true declaration except authorization to use force, A-U-M-F, right? Still dealing with this nonsense. We haven't grown out and beyond to go, you know, there's a reason they made it very difficult to declare war, to engage militarily, because war is the health of the state and more in that regard. So, all right. Oops, I sent that. To, I sent Bolden's message to Ty. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? He's going to be like, huh? Yeah. There, there it was. That's where I meant to say it, send it. All right. So tomorrow, Emord in hour one, and then in hour two, we are going to have um Bern Hamachek. Mm-hmm. Now, who is Bern Hamachek, you might ask? Do you uh I, I I really didn't know much about this guy, but I know that he was uh, kind of a rock star um in our our uh space mm-hmm. uh dr vladimir zeb zelenko yes who passed away i guess back in june mm-hmm. and uh brent hamachek co-authored a uh, a book 
Um, and the book is called Zelenko, How to Decapitate the Serpent. And this is going to be a book about um, about Zeb Zelenko. When does this when does this book come out? Do we know? Uh, let me see here. The book came out uh, November nineteenth, so oh, it is available now. It's just available. Okay, good. So we'll get to yep. talk to Brent about that tomorrow. Yep. And then, we'll, then we'll, we should have um, Jonathan E. Moore second hour in hour one or hour no hour one hour on one. Thursdays. He's in the first hour. E. Moore. Excellent. Yep. So that is what's coming up tomorrow. And then, and then Shemaine, on, Nugent on, on Friday, Friday Shemaine Nugent. Nugent's wife. Ted How Nugent's cool better half. So. The Motor City Madman's wife. That's right. That'll be fun. You know what? We should have uh, Motor City Health on, but we can't ever track down. It's hard to get a hold of. I'll be talking with Ula after the show today. Maybe we can get her on. We haven't had her on in a while. We can get her on on Friday as well. Maybe you know, and Marlon Glenn would be, I think, an excellent podcast if he ever had the time to do it. Yeah. His perspectives are great, yeah. although he's, he's a busy guy, so it's hard to track him down. But right, yeah, thank y'all for being here. Thanks to Rick Jaffe as well. Thanks to Ty Bollinger. Thanks to all y'all for being here and sharing the show. And um, oh, wait a minute, hold on. What? One last thing, and then we'll go. Okay. Uh, poll of the day. Ooh, you did the Christmas poll. It's Santa Claus question. Yeah, I didn't show you the results. Oh, that's true. You didn't. All right. When did you stop believing in Santa? All right. I'm disqualified from this because I'm like, I didn't oh, go You are not disqualified from this. You can, you have a talk show. You're not going to talk. Come on. What, what, what is, uh, what I'm not even going to ask you what personally okay. because you're what? Um, anyway, uh, who's going to win younger than five, five to eight. I mean, it's just a, a wild guess. I have no earthly idea because this was not my experience in this lifetime. Wow. I'm just saying between five and eight. I don't I've know. stumped the homeopath. All right. I don't know. So yeah. the uh, majority of I people say they never believed in the fat man. I think they're I lying. find that hard to believe. I think they're lying. I, liars. I, I don't. I, I'm. I don't, well, look, I'm not going to call them liars, but uh, I'm surprised. I would have thought it would have been somewhere like in the five to eight year old. That, that was my maybe guess. in the nine to twelve, some in there. But seventy three percent of the subscribers claim mm -hmm. to have never believed in Santa Claus. That's almost depressing. <laughs> but in any case, I don't know. I'm not depressed by that. But it is nine percent uh, five to eight years old. Eight percent younger than five years old. That's hard to believe as well for yeah. me. Um, and 5% said, what? Santa's not real. Ah, I, I think it was just being funny, but that is a funny one, but I'm not calling you out as liars. All y'all that said that I'm just being silly. I, I never believed in the fat man. That's a funny way of saying it. Super. All right. Bad. So whatever, since, yeah. since you're, since we we're, we have not, uh, ended the show. Yeah. So I'm getting, are you saying that because you were, you were Jewish mm -hmm. as a kid? Yeah. That Santa is just, that's just not a thing for Jewish people. Um, no, I mean, if you're, yeah, most, if you're practicing Judaism, that's not a thing. You just, that's just not a thing. So it was weird for you being in school and people talking about Santa and you're just kind of like, you guys are idiots. I, I don't know that I ever considered it other than it were was, you, were you just story. like, I can't believe these people like are, are doing this. It's like, I, you know, I, I just, because, you know, at the ages we're talking about five years of age or, you know, when you're in school, I just don't remember having much in, interaction of there's a real Santa ever. 
in my experience. So here's uh, another question. I think it's kind of interesting because I've I've heard about this before that um, when you are around a bunch of people that are celebrating Christmas, was it awkward for you growing up? Because it was like, everybody's doing, Oh, Christmas and Santa and Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer and gifts and, and Jewish. Was it like, did you feel kind of like alone or, or are alienated by from people celebrating Christmas or, or how, what was yeah. that like for you? Well, most of the time, when we grew up in New York as a kid from zero to six, six years of age, I don't remember much of the whole other than, you know, New York and Christmas, but, uh, you, you just observe it's the one day you can, you can work when they don't or something you'd see Jewish people would go into work for help, you know, the service jobs and industry for all the Christians that wouldn't work on Christmas. But those are memories I had, but in Florida, we were for a few years, some like seven to 10, um, you know, obviously winter Christmas, it was not the same thing in Florida, South Florida having right. Christmas. Uh, but I don't recall that as a kid, much controversy until I got to Georgia uh, in Atlanta area. And then they didn't know Jewish people all that much when I grew up in stone mountain. And so there was some element of uncomfortability as, um, it wasn't so much Santa, but as I told you, uh, Christians that would, you know, use Jesus as a battering ram because you didn't have the same religion, which, (laughs) which, which, you know, puts a bad spin on, you know, Christianity. You're not very Christ-like, you know, uh, in the, those cases. And then finding out later, of course, the people that I've befriended since then, and, and largely in this audience who strive to live that way, who are really, uh, I would say emissaries or examples of the love of Christ. And that changed as well. Uh, so it wasn't uncomfortable. In fact, I, I do remember even in late elementary in high school, early high school, one of my best friends, uh, and his family, they would invite me over for Christmas and there was no controversy. It was just a loving celebration together. So, um, you know, it was because people led with love versus, you know, dogma or beliefs and, and things like that. So you, I'm just trying to I'm going to memories I haven't thought about in a long time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I thought it was. In it fact, was just oh, I, I just had a memory come back mm. that you're going to be mad at me for saying it. But, um, you know, one year at Christmas, I was with my friend, the Brownlow's. And the they who? would do the Brownlows. Brownlows. They, were, they were real farm people. In fact, real Southerners that had a farm actually had a farm, although where we lived, it wasn't farmland, but they, 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 it was Southern as Southern gets and just good hearted people. And they're still, I'm still friends with them today to this day, but their family, it's like an adopted family from childhood. Okay. So every year you go over for Christmas and you know, you would do something special, you know, it was like, not like giving gifts per se, but you would do something, you know, say something or whatever, present something. And, uh, one year, uh, I, uh, Neil Diamond came out with a song, you make it feel like Christmas. And you don't know that song, of course. No, no. But I sang that song for the, for that family. You make it feel like Christmas. And that was my special gift to them one year. Uh, so there you go. Of course it had to come back to Neil Diamond, didn't it? You you were going to say Yeah. You found your way back. Yeah. So that's a memory I just flooded back in. And I remember singing that for them. All right. Uh, that was my Christmas gift to them. Anyway, there you go. Cool. Funny history. All right. So I All just right. got an alert here. Apparently, and this is not a joke. It's for real. You yeah. can see the date on it there. Um, several, I guess, I don't know how many, chocolate advent calendars have been voluntarily recalled due to salmonella concerns. And the, they're chocolate salmonella? Yeah, these are those ones I was telling you about. Unfortunately, this is an example of one that you don't want to eat the chocolate. I don't want to eat that. 
Um, yeah. Voluntary recall of, of these advent calendars that have little chocolates in it. So should you be one of those weird people, I guess, that uh, know what an I advent calendar you know, is? A, a good advent calendar would have like the things we do on this show on it. Like one of the days you open it up and there's a little uh, packet of cardio miracle. <laughs> Another day. Here's a chromium. Here's, here's a, a shot of hydrosol. Right. And, you know, by the way, you can get the 32 ounce now. I'm so excited about that because we were going through the copper so fast. Uh, it's better value to get 32 ounce sovereign copper. All of those links are up in the show notes as well. Uh, All right. Yeah. You know, we may have worn out our welcome at this point. I know. We've gone long today. Two and a half hours. I got to take a break. I got stuff to do. My All daughter's right. singing the national anthem at the basketball game tonight. So I'm gonna nice. And nice. Then, you get a video on that? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll share that on the show tomorrow. All right, let's see what happens. And uh, again, God willing, we'll see you less than 22 hours from now. All right, have a good day, guys. We'll see you tomorrow.